Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Matt. And this is Too Much Film School. Today we're going to discuss Steven Soderbergh's latest movie, Haywire. As always, this is an in-depth discussion riddled with spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, be prepared for that. Or go see it first, and then come back. We'll be here. Yeah, it's a, it's a digital recording. You're allowed to save it. It's not live at all. Pause the action. I am just going to start out from the beginning and say, if you haven't seen Haywire, go see it right now. It's fantastic. I will counter that by saying where I said go see it and then come back to this was not an endorsement <laughs> of the film saying you should see it. I found it kind of just mediocre or serviceable for what it was, an action movie with some good acting on the part of the co-stars, but ultimately it hinges on its star, Gina Carano, who is very good at the action scenes, and they are pretty advanced, and they bring things that I haven't seen before, but the acting, it was falling a bit short and didn't actually make me care about the character. Well, I'll say uh, the opening scene felt like a student film up and down. First of all, this whole movie, it seemed like the film stock was changing, but like sometimes it was HD and sometimes it was clearly film. And the opening scene, I thought they shot it on a cell phone. And they didn't, just sort of basic technical stuff, like they didn't put filtration on the windows, so the inside was really uh, warm and the outside was blue. And I understand that they're trying to be like, it's cold outside, but... Incorrect color temperature is not the way to do that. Well, I think that one of the things I actually felt hit over the face with was Steven Soderbergh's use of color to set tone and location, which... Which is uh, something he does in all of his it movies. Is, yeah, it is in everything he does. Traffic, uh, out of sight, the Oceans movies. But it works there because those are so big and kind of broad that you transition from one place to another. Or in traffic, when you're cutting between San Diego and... Mexico, it's different shades of yellow because San Diego's close enough that it has tinged with it, or it's kind of golden, whereas it's like a urine yellow in Mexico. <laughs> uh, he did it, not me. And then going to Washington, D.C. tobacco filter it's, might be the name. Okay. <laughs> going Which to, isn't a hell of a lot better, but... Right. Going to D.C., it's blue because it's very stark and clean there. So he uses it to set not only tone and make you feel about a place, but differentiate when it's going to be intercut. Here, it just felt overused because it's so quick of scenes that you're like, oh, we're pink, we're yellow, blue, blue, yellow. And so I see why he does it. And in his other movies, I think it worked a lot better. Here it felt very overused. I have a hard time judging those things because I am colorblind. But I didn't feel bludgeoned. Like, in traffic, it was very schematic. It was, like you said, D.C. is blue, Mexico is yellow, and all of these things. And this was just sort of setting a mood. But in terms of the, the opening scene, I was talking specifically of the mixture of color temperature mm -hmm. In a, it's technically natural, and I've heard him discuss, because uh, Soderbergh is his own cinematographer as well, that he feels like it's natural to have a mixture of color temperature, because that's what happens in reality. But the truth is, you have a greater dynamic range in terms of color temperature, as well as in terms of brightness and darkness. Right. Contrast. Because our eyes have a greater dynamic range in terms of seeing colors, it doesn't look strange when we're inside and we look outdoors. In real versus life. In reality, yeah. through your eyeballs. And in the movie... It just looks a little wrong. That's why they put filtration on windows yeah, when you're or, shooting indoors, just to make it line up a little better. You can leave the outside cool, but not blue. I agree. That I even felt like maybe he was trying to bring the feeling for us of her coming out of the cold into the warmth, because the first shot is pretty long of her just standing and shivering in the cold, 
before she goes into this diner where she has a meet and she orders hot tea and is clutching it. Maybe he wanted to show early on that this character, you know, has level commitment to stand out in the cold, or maybe she's being chased. We don't know yet. We're supposed to feel that, and maybe he thought he was doing it with the color temperature. Anyway. It was a little too far. But beyond the sort of technical aspects, her acting is not very good. Channing Tatum is not the greatest actor in the world, although I liked him better later on in the movie. This opening scene, they both felt like when I was making student films back at USC and you got people that was like their first time in front of a camera, they both felt like that. And Channing wow. Tatum's been around for a while. I'll say that Gina Carano... This is her first time. Right, making... so she has a defense. Right, but... Channing Tatum, no excuse. I agree with you. It felt like she, it was her first time. And then to start the movie with an acting-heavy scene, exactly. as it were, felt like a misstep. Yes, use her. She's an action star. You're bringing her for her physical talents and everything. But then don't start the movie with a four-second shot of her face filling the screen. I liked that first shot. Like, I thought it was compelling, but I think it's because it's the uh, coolish of effect. I just see her face, and then we cut to a shot of this diner, and then back to her face, I'm like, oh, she's watching it intently. Like, that's my she's, projection. She's hungry. <laughs> she's sad now. <laughs> yeah, now cut to a baby, and she's longing. It's an interesting uh, reference you bring up, because it was that cutting, and I think maybe it projected for you Absolutely. more emotion into her face than was there. But then even once we get into the diner, there are several shots of her face just telling the screen, her getting the yes. tea, and... It was not well acted. It was only business, kind of like of, oh, get tea and warm up. But she was doing it just in a ham-handed, like early acting kind of way of, oh, this tea. And I'm like, I don't believe you. Yeah, I, no. I don't believe you're clutching that tea out of genuine wanting to get warm or whatever motivation there is. And there were just small things like her eyes looking around the room that felt forced. Yeah, everything about it, about the, both performances, his sort of fake casual is a bad actor's version of being casual. Actually, I feel that opposite her, because I was like, really, this is how we're starting? You know, you're putting your non-actress right in front of the camera? Him coming in was like breath of fresh air. I'm like, finally, acting! Like, <laughs> he was just being natural in a Joe Everyman kind of, he is exasperated because he drove all night, he's acting casual and like he doesn't care, like a real person would. He really felt like he was acting casual and not being casual. It, again, I think, had the increase in value for me because uh, it was slightly better than her. I haven't seen a lot of Channing Tatum movies. That's because you didn't see G.I. Joe. Right, or uh, Step Up or Step Up to the Streets, either, that launched him. But I'm going to go ahead and say maybe he didn't act so great in those, and that's why I didn't see <laughs> I blame him, really. So this felt like a tour de force from him, just acting non-interested and casual or put out, even. And I also noticed when we're looking around the room, something else that caught me as film schooly was just these shots of her scanning the room, and we see Michael Angnaro who I recognize from Sky High, and I think his, he has one line of dialogue he's talking to his friends and it carries over. I'm like, well, he's obviously an actor, I recognize. Yeah, that, He's that's... either her contact or who she's meeting and he's playing it sly, or he's going to come up very soon. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate. I, like, I, I think he doesn't have a line. Um, and I, as soon as I saw him, I was like, is he busted down to extra now, or is he going to be a part in this? And then when the fight breaks out and he jumps on, and I was like, oh, okay, now I... Although, one minor problem I have going to the very end of the movie, in the credits, supposedly they're in order, order of appearance, he's listed below Channing Tatum, which I don't think is correct. Because he true. didn't have a line, but he technically appeared. I saw him first. <laughs> Actually, when the shot of the cafe first happened, the second shot, we see her out shivering in the cold, mm -hmm. and we see the cafe. Instantly, I thought of the Bourne identity, because a, I knew she it was an action movie about an agent that is double-crossed. Second off... In Bourne, when he meets up with Franca Patente and they drive, they're driving from Germany or France to get out of the country and he's paying her, they stop at a diner 
and it's snow covered and looks just like this one, but in Germany, not America. They go inside and he's scanning the room and she's like, it, they have a back and forth that really develops the character about, oh, I'm sizing up the enemy, like, and he doesn't remember why. That's the whole point yeah. of the movie. And uh, this scene just felt like that to me. And when I saw Michael Angnara, I'm like, is he her contact or is he going to be Franca Patente? <laughs> End up driving her around. And Channing Tatum comes in. I'm like, nope, Channing Tatum's the contact and Michael Angnaro's Franca Patente. And then that is exactly the way it went. There's an exchange, they fight. And finally, I'm like, oh, this actually might be a good movie. As soon as Channing Tatum mashes a uh, coffee cup out of nowhere so awesome right so that once we actually got into action i'm like oh my goodness this is good and she fights back she hits him with something else then she jumps up grabs his arm flips him to the ground in a wwe style move still felt real though yes and that's what i think really gina carano brings to the role and made these awesome fight scenes was the physicality of it. Yeah. So, and I don't know if he used a stuntman or not, but like whoever his stunt double was or he himself did a great job. Because oftentimes when you have a fight between a big dude and a chick, you're like, she can't actually beat him up. She can kick my ass, clearly. Right. But Channing Tatum is a big guy, and if we pretend that he's a super spy kind of guy, you're like, can she really beat him even if she is? Because just the physical size difference. They managed to make the fight reasonable that the way she was doing things and the way he reacted, she was able to overcome. Yeah, they start grappling and then punching and then he pulls out a gun and shoots by her head and there are near misses that feel realistic. Right. It's not like, oh, in Bond or something where they're diving out of the way of bullets. It was, wow, that almost blew her head off and there's a cinched hole in the floor and even the sound design was, you know, it was pretty loud, but not, they didn't add a lion roaring to the background or whatever. They did with <laughs> sound mixing. It just felt like pretty realistic. So I think that that exchange was the first time I piqued my interest in the movie. Well, another really impressive part about that fight is that, again, his name is impossible to pronounce, but Michael Angarano jumps on Channing Tatum because in his mind he's seeing an abusive boyfriend or something like that. But we don't cut to a shot of him making the decision. It's just a shot of Channing Tatum. And suddenly there's a guy on top of him, and it's not even clear who it is. And the only reason I knew it was Michael Angarano was because I had seen him right. and previously. Shirt. And if I if I hadn't recognized the actor, it would just be there's a guy on top yep. of him. And you sort of have to do the math. One of the guys in the booth thought this guy looked like an abusive boyfriend, and now I'm going to you know intervene or whatever. And they didn't spell it out for you. And I think it even took like a couple shots subsequent before I realized that that was what was going on. But not in a, like, I'm confused kind of way, just in a, they're not treating me like an idiot kind of way. Yeah. And then going back to before the fight, again... The acting was bad. Technical aspects were a little distracting. The dialogue itself also was not very good. They were trying to be like elliptical and like not saying what they want to say. She's like, did he say anything about Barcelona? No. Did he say anything about Ireland? No. And and it's supposed to be like, oh, what happened in Barcelona? Yeah, piquing your interest. It did not. No, it was just like, uh, you want me to wonder what's happening in Barcelona, Sounds don't you? Like, I assume at some point you're going to show me what happened in Barcelona. Well, I thought they might not even do that because this is just canned what spies say when they meet up. Right. Like, ooh, you know, he wants you to come in. And again, going back to the Bourne identity, since that kind of revitalized a lot of these, you mm -hmm. have every movie possible right now that's just the Bourne identity in high school with the kid from Twilight. Unknown was the Bourne identity with Liam Neeson. They, they just changed the actor... <laughs> And it was the same script. Hannah was the born identity with a 12-year-old girl. And mm -hmm. she's, a, she's genetically modified a little. This did sort of remind me of Hannah in the coldness. Oh, yeah. No, that's... And the chick beating up people. 
Right, and I would go so far as to say this was very much like Hannah in that not only that, but the, the coldness, the stark, and the story just kind of feeling flat with me not feeling personally invested in the you character. You didn't like Hannah either? I liked Hannah. It was the same way I put this in that it was an action movie. I didn't feel invested in the characters because they went with that cold calculating starkness, which seems like it was unintentional, but it makes me not really root for them or feel like, oh yeah, I want this person to accomplish the end goal, which is revenge in both of these, and yet I look at them and go, you're so cold that revenge won't be satisfy you. It's not like it will satisfy me. So both of them kind of left me as, that happened. <laughs> there was action in between, and then it ended. Wow. Yeah. So cruel to action. I'm was... just saying, they go, let's go with this stark character that has no emotions, and then guess what? I don't feel emotionally invested. <laughs> you did that to yourself. <laughs> Well, I felt like as the movie went on, she was up against some of the best actors, Michael Fassbender, Ewan McGregor, Michael Douglas even. She has like one scene with Antonio Banderas, so that doesn't really count. She never seemed as good as any of them, clearly. And right. I don't think that that's, that's a fair comparison. But by the end really of the... really hard for her for her first movie out, but I think... It's really hard for kind of anybody. Right, but she didn't feel as good as Channing Tatum either, and we discussed right. his pedigree. But I felt like by the end of the movie she was sort of keeping up in the final scene with her and michael douglas the whole scene was shot in silhouettes and maybe they redubbed her dialogue and stuff we couldn't see the blank stare in her face or whatever but uh, i thought she was struggling valiantly to keep up with their performances by the end of the movie right and i think and that going... first scene was the absolute worst right so and i'd it, say starting all on that <laughs> Starting on that is a kind of a risk of really this is how you want to introduce your film but I guess they got it out of the way early so that there was nowhere to go but up. Yeah, they should have filmed it last. I think it's pretty clear she improved as an actress over the course of the film. I enjoyed her acting a lot more at the end of the film than at the beginning. From interviews I heard they they filmed not entirely but sort of roughly in order. And so perhaps that that's what literally happened. <laughs> yeah, she has an exchange with Channing Tatum. She takes Michael Angnaro and Makes him the Frank Patente of the movie, says, drive me. She has him stitch up her arm because she got shot during the exchange. She just is in, I can tell, a flat delivery mode of like, oh, I'm wounded. I'm going, falling back on my spy trainings. So she's saying things very flatly in an almost Ashley Judd delivery. I felt like a lot of her stuff reminded me of her. In the car, though, they're driving. She starts telling him the story of how she was betrayed. Which I don't like structure of oh, we meet some characters, we don't know why they're fighting, basically because we want to have a fight scene up front, and then we go back into and then get into the actual story. I feel like it's a lazy way of having a fight scene up front and then getting into, like, whatever the plot is. I thought it was acceptable enough to do, like, the in media rests, you know, like, frame story of, hey, here's us in real time, let's flash back to why uh, we got here. And I thought it was a little odd with her telling him the story and... They go to the story and they come back and she makes them repeat the elements of the story, which the first time they did it, I'm like, oh, she's setting him up to like go to some authority or call a special CIA line yeah. to report in for her. But I still feel like that it it's, was a bit ham-handed. Yeah, at the beginning of it, I was like, why is she just telling him everything? And then when she grills him, I was like, oh, okay. But eventually, that doesn't really become a thing. Like, she tells him when he runs away, when, when she lets him go, she's like, go tell the cops this whole thing. And it's like, ugh. That's where it really didn't hang together. I think she mentioned the phone number he's supposed to call and tell them first, so it's again... And then like, tell the police everything. And then tell the police. Hey, maybe because we didn't see him call the number or Michael Douglas or whoever's on the other end answer it. 
I don't feel like it actually accomplished anything. She didn't need to do that. Yeah, like, I mean, telling him the story, like, so often, I think, with, like, spy stuff, like, you do things, in reality, you would do something just in case it comes up. Right. And then it, and sometimes it doesn't come up. It's just weird in a movie, like, you expect everything that is set up to then be paid off later on. Right. And they just didn't pay it off. But in the car, she's telling the story. We jump to Washington, D.C. Ewan McGregor is talking with Michael Douglas. That scene confused me just because of where they were sitting, because... Ewan McGregor was sitting behind the desk, and Michael Douglas was sitting next to Antonio Banderas, you know, on the, like, guest side of the desk. And I couldn't figure out, like, who was the government person who was hiring who. I was like, if Michael Douglas is, is hiring Ewan McGregor, shouldn't they be going to Michael Douglas's office? You would think like, that's so. How... And once the conversation happens again, it comes out that Ewan McGregor is a private contractor that works for the government. Michael Douglas is the government. Uh, Antonio Banderas is a I couldn't tell party. if he was another government or if he was another company. It was hard to tell. When she first meets Antonio Banderas' character, she says, your state. And I read that as State Department. I did too. So, uh, but he's clearly in Spain. They seems like a Spanish guy. So I read him as government too, but maybe different from... Maybe Michael he's the Douglas. American state representative in right. Spain. Or State Department, I think, in a lot of TV and movies, is used as a cover for the CIA. The CIA. Calls it, I recently read a book that it, the actual CIA does also call himself right. State Department. <laughs> I imagine the movies, movie people also read that book. So he's probably CIA or something. He seems very official. And yet Ewan McGregor is the one behind the desk, and they have visitor badges on with a yeah. very official government-looking eagle in the middle of it i'm like what building are they in that they're a government and yet they're the visitors and ewan mcgregor is working there and it was confusing and so the the dialogue i think if i watched the scene again knowing who is who i would understand the conversation a little better like i, th I don't think the lines themselves were confusing it was literally just where they were sitting in the room <laughs> that made me think the power structure was different and and again in terms of the way the shooting is structured the dialogue is very elliptical but because they are First of all, I think the dialogue was written better than the first scene. Right. And then the three of them are much better actors than Channing Tatum right. and, and Gina Carano. And so it's a better scene. But the way the whole movie is built, the exposition is very elliptical. Do they leave parts out and they just let you sort of, you have to figure out that Ewan McGregor works for a company and stuff. But the, sh the shooting of the action scenes, it's not, I don't want to say it's schematic, but it's very clear who is where and who's punching who and everything else, which is... My biggest gripe with modern action movies, whether it's uh, Michael Bay or Paul Greengrass, is just, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, everybody loves the Bourne sequels. Right. I think they're god-awful. I think it's more about the visceral impact. You're not supposed to know where the, these things are coming from. You're supposed to feel in your gut the adrenaline I, of the I get bored. First of all, if it's supposed to put me in the shoes of a highly trained operative, I'm pretty sure he knows what the fuck is going on. Like... The guy who's kidnapped Franco Patenta character who's panicking or whatever, from her perspective, yes. We can do one fight scene where she doesn't know what, what the hell is going on. But when the super spy is in charge and is beating the crap out of everybody, it I should, should feel technical. It should feel not necessarily technical because, you know, sometimes they're, they are improvising and whatever and sometimes they screw up and things like that like we discussed with uh, Mission Impossible 4. But they know what's going on and so I should know what's going on. And so this film, it, it's a strange contrast that the plot and character-like scenes are all very vague and you, you have to struggle to keep up but the fight scenes very clear what's going on and I, I think that's one of the one of the reasons that I think this is a I really like this movie was that 
the action scenes were great, and the spy stuff I sort of had to pay attention to. Well, no, I'd say that was one of the reasons I didn't like the movie overly, <laughs> is that, yes, it has good action scenes, I'll give you that. With the story, we saw it actually as a, at a, what I thought was a writing series uh, screening, where we, I thought the writer was going to be there at the end, and it feels like a lot of this is just, oh, I'm making spy references like Mallorca, and using terms like Leo, because spy people would use that. Now, you fill in the blanks on why their motivations are or what is going on in the scene because you've seen a lot of spy movies. <laughs> like, that is the level of, it felt like laziness of like, oh, we'll hit these points and then everyone knows what happens in between. We don't have to spell that out. Yes, that's partially true, but it's a choose your own venture. I'm doing most of the work here. <laughs> I'm constructing the story in my mind and it's not really there. So I felt that those parts with Michael Douglas, Antonio Banderas, and Ewan McGregor in the office were well acted. The direction still came off a little heavy as Steven Soderbergh because of the like, slightly asymmetrical framing with them in the bottom third corner. And again, we jump to from the blue car to the yellow. Uh, now Washington's yellow in this movie because it's dirty <laughs> what they're doing. Oh, I thought the office was, was green because of fluorescent lighting. Was it, was it yellow? It was yellowish. See, this is me just guessing what okay. color things are. I, I'm aware that it's neon lights. That, that, uh, uh, not neon lights. Um, fluorescent lights. Uh, yeah, I'm told the fluorescent lights make things look green. And so I just, I was like, oh, they're making a green. <laughs> they went a little yellow on it. So, and again, just Ewan McGregor reads off a list of items and things like overages and safety bumps and stuff or hazard bumps. So he's charging them. Yeah, that whole conversation didn't make sense because yeah. I was confused who was who. Uh, Michael Douglas demands Mallory Kane, who's the Gina Carano character, to be there, uh, which screams of the setup to begin with. And because I maybe knew the story from the trailers and everything, it was just like, this is a little... Obvious. Except it turns out that Michael Douglas isn't the one who's doing the setup. He just likes her. I think that it really odd, actually, how that pans out. Because later in the movie, and we'll get to this, like, there's a, again, born level of, like, wait, who was at the top who made this call, and that's who I want? She goes up through Channing Tatum and the henchman, and there's uh, Ewan McGregor, and I was like, okay, you got the boss man. But then Michael Douglas does give them her location away, and you're like, well that helping her or hurting her, and then later he's like, oh yeah, no, I totally did that because I promised you I would. He said, oh, I'd get you and McGregor alone at your dad's house. No, it was him and like three killers. And then she's like, okay, I'm going after who Who ultimately planned all this, and you and McGregor says like, oh, it was Antonio Banderas. But we don't know what conversation Antonio Banderas had with Michael Douglas. He came to him and said, hey, I want you to rep me to, uh, you know, walk into you and McGregor's office and say, hey, I'm bringing in Antonio Banderas in good faith for this contract. So he didn't tell Michael Douglas that taking her out was part of it? Like, Michael Douglas is just so blind that he's like, oh, you want to rescue this uh, dissident reporter from Barcelona? Okay, sounds good to me. In the end, we find out that he was in a safe house and they were actually taking him from people that were protecting him, specifically so they could kill him and set her up to take the fall and it would kill two birds with one stone. So Michael Douglas didn't do his background and find out that, no, that's a safe house, this guy. It's so, a little confusing, like, why Michael Douglas's motivation through so, that whole part of it. Either he's in on it and telling her that he's not in on it, oh, it's those guys, or he's just bad at his job and doesn't do his <laughs> homework. Either way, I didn't like him too much as a character. Then we go to Barcelona, and she's kind of a bitch to Channing Tatum, which is sort of in a sort of snarky, fun way, and I sort of, I like that, like, that's where I started to like her, and like her acting, and the dialogue started to pick up a little bit. That seemed a little more genuine than the first scene. I give you that it's better than her first scene. Uh, <laughs> I still felt like her delivery of like cold calculating bitch, but good at her job was flat and just came across as bitch. 
uh, to me. I thought they had a cute moment when she's telling him his business. She, he's like, well, wait for the others. And there's no smoking in here. And he pulls out his cell phone and puts it in his mouth and goes to light it. And yeah, like, and that also seemed like he was playing kind of a douchebag, and that's what a douchebag would do. <laughs> right, and I think that I was... I thought that was much more natural than ...appropriate response to the way she was acting. So I felt like that was one of the truer moments and almost stuck out in some of the other ham-handed like ones of, okay, we'll go over the plan. But I felt actually the whole intro to Barcelona was a montage. They have the Ocean's Eleven kind of planning music of the boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and it the was music was distracting. And it's clear he's still stuck in the 90s when you were allowed to just put your, your mix CD on the soundtrack. Like, well, it, that's what he's doing. Only now it's his, like, I, iTunes playlist. It's his iTunes playlist of his other movies. It's the <laughs> Ocean's Eleven soundtrack of, again, the this is when we're planning it. But it was, like, all the scenes where uh, Brad Pitt and Matt Damon are surveilling Andy Garcia and all these yeah. things. And when they need a montage of them doing work, and it's like, boom, boom, like these little trills and things that are cute and kitschy and recognizable in Ocean's Eleven because it's a remake of a 60s movie. It's Vegas. All these things make it work. Here, no. <laughs> it, you're like, this is Barcelona, and now I'm just having flashbacks from Ocean's Eleven. It was weird. I did not like the music at all. I don't actually like the music in Ocean's Eleven. Either, it at least so. fits there. Like, uh, here, it distracted me, and the montage nature was, again, his asymmetrical shots of out of focus they're checking in the hotel or whatever or they're getting the room and it's surveilling the bad guys and everything and it just felt like he's got a, a directorial style and he brings that to it but in this he's like and here's the ocean's 11 part and here's he literally frankensteining it from works he's but already see done. i i see i really other than the music i really appreciated that sequence that there was no, no one said, here's the plan, here's what we're going to do. We just cut to them doing stuff when we have to figure out, oh, they're watching it, they're checking entrances, they're, you know, when they, they bust on the door and then they have to run out and, and people are just sort of exchanging meaningful looks. Like, it's all very clear what's going on without anybody spelling it out. I'll give you that it's less spoon-fed than a lot of movies handle it as where they say, here's the plan and lay it out for everyone in a diagram and we intercut with them actually doing the plan, which... Ocean's movies did do. But what those elements bring is the lines they get from the technical consultants who's the real CIA guy and says, this is what we do. We do a sit rep and they're like, ooh, sit rep, I'm going to write that word down. <laughs> and those are the times when they bring out these words that show you, hey, this has some level of authenticity, I imagine, because they use words I don't recognize, but they <laughs> seem to make sense in the setting. Since they're not saying those words, I was like, yeah, you're taking pictures of a door. <laughs> like, I know you would do that, but you're not... You're not blowing my mind with what, you know, new spy tech you're bringing or what new maneuvers I didn't already know about. See, I I felt the exact opposite. I thought they weren't, they wouldn't discuss it. They would just sort of know what they were doing. They wouldn't use a lot of jargon and stuff. And the movie is fairly realistic in terms of the technology. So there was no spy, there's no cool spy stuff. But they did a really thorough and detailed job of checking out the place and checking uh, the times people come and go and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, but without the dialogue, even those actions like Gina Carino goes into the building that they're surveilling like three times. The guy leaves and she goes in and knocks on the neighbor's door and she's talking to him like, what is this exchange and how can this come across as natural? Like, hi, I'm a tourist that's lost. Can you show me? I was me? a little confused and, about what she was and saying. And you wandered into this building that has a buzzer that you have to get in and went up to the second floor to knock on a door to ask for directions like i don't know what excuse she could have made up there <laughs> that makes sense to put her there as the guy walks by and she beams at him the bad guy like number one walks by and she just stares and i'm like blowing your cover here like other movies uh you know 
Ronan with uh, Robert De Niro, he like they go to a hotel and he pretends he's with his wife and says, "Oh, can you get pictures of me?" And he sets up a, a luggage cart to fall over and has a guy taking pictures of him and his wife to see as if they're tourists and watches the reactions of the security guys in the background when a loud noise goes off. And I was like, that was brilliant. Like he sets it up. In this, they don't give us something to show why these people are good. They're just like, we take pictures of things and then wordlessly move in and out of the building three times. She even puts, I guess, plastic explosives behind a door or there's like a, a latch that she's able to move out. And I'm like, is that the apartment they're gonna go into? Or it wasn't real clear. They do blow a door, but I'm like, it's been a day since she placed that. They didn't notice that, hey, there's blobs of things on the backside of my door. Like, so it was a little cutty, and without the spelling out, I was lost at parts. I didn't feel lost at all, <laughs> that whole sequence. And then they, they pick up the guy. I was glad when the, uh, well, you think it's a bad guy at the time, when he when the, the dude takes off. First of all, when he starts firing blindly into the street and then shooting while running, I was like, you were so realistic up until this point. No one actually does that other than like gangbangers who who don't who don't have proper training. Like a guy who's been trained is not going to shoot while running across the street. You just don't do that. Right. Uh, but she chases after him, and I was like, they just wanted the dude. Why is she chasing after him? And then later she says, I don't want loose ends, and I'm like, oh okay. Then at least they like addressed that. They did address it as soon as she takes off after him. I thought, I'm like, why is she running? They are extracting this guy. That is the primary target. This is the objective. Her going after him, I don't care that she doesn't like loose ends, makes her seem negligent in my mind. I'm like, you know what? What you would prefer is not important when the job is to get this guy out of here. Your attention should be 90% for him and 10% if you can clean up after yourself and make sure people don't recognize your face or whatever you don't like the loose ends for. Gravy. But your job is that guy. So her running after him, I thought was excessive. Uh, she, she could have spelled it out a little bit more because I, I took it to mean... She doesn't want him calling ahead and saying that this happened or whatever. The chase scene, actually, I would like to know, as they're running around, first of all, really well done uh, chase scene. Like, foot chases are hard to do, um, and they do uh, a lot of, you know, different angles and stuff to keep track. And, uh, you know, close-ups on her that weren't ridiculous, I don't think. But one thing I, I particularly noticed, so many movies that have, like, a, a, a female action star, like, uh, like Salt or uh, Matrix, uh, the girl is wearing, like, six-inch heels. And it drives me crazy because I'm like, no one is going to run in that. And if you're planning on being a spy and doing like spy stuff, you're not going to have heels unless like for some reason you're going undercover right. and you have to have heels. And she didn't have heels. And I was like, thank Christ okay. <laughs> like, that, that she was wearing practical shoes for the occasion. That seems like a very small credit to give them when they're doing a tactical breach situation. If they had heels, it would look weird. It would stick out and I'd be like... This is the stupidest movie ever. So yes, they didn't go that route. But it happens in so many movies that I don't think you would you would notice if she had the, the big, not necessarily heels, but like those, I don't even know what they're called, where the heel part is not separated from the front part of the shoe. You know what I mean? The platforms? Maybe. Nice. I don't know. Uh, we don't do no women's shoes. <laughs> at all. Angelina Jolie had ridiculous shoes on the entire time in Salt. And I was like, you'd think that the actress would be like, as she's playing it and running around, at the end of every take, be like, holy fuck, my feet hurt. Can we? Right. Uh, real quick, aside from that, Salt was not a good movie, so... No, but, think that but it happens so frequently. Right. Matrix was a good movie, and yet Trinity they, is wearing they, ridiculous uh, shoes. Spoiler alert, they were in a thing called The Matrix, which <laughs> was not real, so, uh, you know what? She can, she can levitate, so <laughs> I think that helps the Bunions a little. Your mind makes it real. <laughs> so, 
Back in to the case, footwear in this movie. There's a there's a bit of a, a hole a plot hole though at the end of that. She she takes the guy out. She she beats him on like their little fight scene in the I don't know, it looked like a kitchen or something. Um she like climbs up on a wall and punches the guy and then she drops the, the gate on the dude. He's clearly alive at the end of that. Right. And she says, I don't like loose ends. She picks up her cell phone and I thought, oh, are they on like an official sanctioned government thing where she's calling someone else to pick up clean up this guy and put him in Guantanamo or something? Like I thought that was the case but then the rest of the movie doesn't prove that out they were alone out there i'm like who is she calling so that was a gaping hole for me her chasing him in the first place i didn't like her later saying i don't look loose ends didn't feel like a wrap-up enough because it didn't say how she resolved it the one good thing about that exchange was the fight scene and again it felt like an excuse for there to be a fight scene yeah, i'm fine with that <laughs> she, and that fight scene typifies what i liked about this movie which is so he goes to grab her legs and she jumps up on the wall she lands on his back in a wrestling move puts her feet straight on the wall so he cannot reach them and i was like that's brilliant given the space like that is one of the better things i've seen in fight scenes and there are a lot of little moments like that in this movie where you go wow that's innovative realistic it's not over the top like doing a triple backflip and then kicking the guy with both feet not impressive that way impressive in a you just really did that in real life and it would make sense in this the setting and with what he's the fighting style so i did like that exchange for that yeah the plot hole, she calls somebody, it's not really clear who. She doesn't kill the guy, he's clearly alive. If she had talked to him for a second, she would know that this was a safe house. Or at least there's something, it's clearly wrong that like this guy who kidnapped a, a political dissident is now claiming to that it was a safe house protecting the political dissident. She'd be like, wait a second, that's this a weird... This doesn't add up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what happened, they just cut, and, and this happens in a million movies where it, they... You end a scene and you're like, ah, that's fine. I mean, you can point to... Everything worked out fine. Sure. <laughs> you can point to uh, someone Someone explained this to me recently. In Dark Knight, uh, Joker shows up at the party and uh, is threatening everybody. And Batman shows up and beats up all the henchmen. And then Joker throws uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal out the window. Batman jumps out the window and rescues her. Joker's still upstairs in a yeah, room a full of people. Of people. <laughs> like, oh, no, they're all dead. <laughs> they go, he's like, at least she's safe. Oh, yeah, everyone here is murdered. In his, in his penthouse yeah, as well. Yeah, like, that, someone's going to have to clean that up. We just don't see it on camera. Yeah. Uh, but I think with the uh, plot hole you were talking about with the... But it's only a plot hole. Like, it, the weird thing is, it's not, it's, not conf it's not a plot hole when you see it. Right. You're perfectly fine with it. But then, in retrospect, when you find out that yep. he's actually a good guy, you're like, oh, wait a second. Why, Why she did she not find that out then? No, I thought that with... The whole, as soon as that was revealed at the end, the whole reveal at the end of, oh, we're setting this up and we want to kill him, the uh, political dissident. Why wouldn't he say something when they get in the, the car and they're like, she's like, it's okay, you know? Oh, yeah. They have him presumably, good. they go, I think they go back to the safe house or maybe they just drive straight to the airport, but presumably they're together for a full 45 minutes or so. Well, doesn't she say, she even she talks says, to, like, preps him. stay cool, don't say a word. Just walk 10 feet behind me. If I touch you, drop to your knees. And he maybe he's interpreting it as, oh, no, right. I'm being kidnapped. Yeah. And I can't, if I say anything. But, like, if you're being kidnapped, I think you, unless someone's holding a gun to you and say, don't say a thing, you think you'd be like, please don't please do don't, don't kill me or something? Yeah. yeah, something. And she'd be like, we're not here to kill you. We're here to save you. And yeah. you'd be like, save me from, those guys were protecting me. That conversation would have happened in most situations. Unless, I mean, unless he just took it so so much as a threat when she said, don't say anything. So with the dissident angle and them not really communicating, I thought maybe, oh, he appears to be from China. Like, maybe he doesn't speak English and she doesn't speak Chinese. 
So maybe they couldn't have had a meaningful exchange, but then when she tells him to stay behind her and uh, drop to, to the ground, seems to understand it. And I might be imagining it, but when they deliver him to Antonio Banderas, Antonio Banderas whispers in his ear, he turns around and either says thank you or nods at them appreciatively. So he seems like, oh, thank you. Maybe it's thank you for not killing me, but <laughs> it seemed like... It does seem a little Someone weird. would... I thought Antonio Banderas was saying, oh, the State Department has you now, you're safe. And Right, which is what you're supposed to think. But maybe, maybe he tells him... Now smile and say thank you as if you're as if you're grateful for them rescuing you. Okay. Or, <laughs> or I'll so. kill you. Yeah. So a yeah, lot that's of a it... little that's also a little there's a little bit of fringe logic in that, which I don't feel like I noticed until now. Like at the end of the movie, I was just sort of uh it was a twist and I was like, ah, the the I thought it was clever that the they thought it was a kidnapping ring and then it turned out it was a safe house. But yes, at post facto you're like uh, they should have noticed something. Nope. When they revealed that, they showed shots of the safe house guys and yeah. them playing cards. And I thought to myself, wouldn't the Asian guy have said something in the car? Like I didn't think of that until later. It, it struck me. I went, all right, I guess. But by that point, I was I had kind of classified this movie in the 80th percentile. And I'm like, not in this movie. He wouldn't have. <laughs> and then uh, after the rescue and the other two dudes who don't seem to have uh, much of a part... Uh, disappear, and then it's just Channing Tatum and uh, Gina Carano. They have a little conversation scene where he's like, oh, so you relaxed by cleaning your guns? And she's like, I've got more guns to clean, or whatever. The... More wine. Oh, right, right. Drinking wine and cleaning guns. Uh, and that that's sort of cute. And I thought, at, as I was watching, I was like, at least this isn't going to end with them making out and then, you know, fade to black before they have sex. And I was sure that that was not going to happen. Even when they got, like, really close to each other, and, yeah. like, with, like, kissing distance, I was like, this isn't going to end with, with them kissing. Like, Red, why would it? it just seemed it's because it's Soderbergh. It felt like it sort of an indie type movie, right. and like we're not going to do those sort of obvious moves. Yep. And yet he did, and, and it did. And somehow it, I was expecting them to not do it because in any other movie they would. I was then surprised that they did do it, and so I was sort of okay with it again. Like I, it was a weird like loop around, like being like, okay. Wow, wait a very postmodern. Way like, to be cliche, like. But you're doing cliche as a bit. I get it. Um, no, I just read it as cliche and again, Which I very think sort of... wooden acting from her. I was like, you know what? Oddly enough, I'm not attracted to you right now. Like, if I were Channing Tatum, I'd be like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> not in a, like, oh boy. Be like, ah, Ice Queen. Like, <laughs> there's no like spark in her bitchiness of like, oh, there might be something else there. It's just plain bitchiness and then She'd come over and she'd gra she grabs his belt and starts undoing it. I would be like, yeah, no. Pass. <laughs> Thanks, though. And walk out just because I would be so pissed at her for being such a bitch the whole time. So there wasn't enough flirtiness, I guess, is what I'm getting. Maybe it is a real thing of just like, oh, the adrenaline pumping. Like, this is how I would follow up I with did it. not get that impression No, it didn't feel adrenaline-fueled or anything, so. It did seem weird. Tacked uh, on. Yeah. And then at that point, you're like, eh, he's going to die now. <laughs> like that. <laughs> That must happen, which is unfortunate. Flashback to the card so we don't forget that um, Michael, what's his name, is in it. I think it's also just to keep us grounded in what is in real time. Like, we're doing enough flashbacks and this is the frame story, so you can't just leave the car to the end, like tell the whole run-through story and then be like, oh yeah, right now we're in a car. <laughs> All right, I forgot about that. So I think it's good to intersperse it and come back in the middle, but she has him start reciting the lines. Back to where saying, like, what happened, where was it, where were the names? 
So that sets up the thing that he's going to tell someone. After they talk, they, we flash back again now to San Diego, where she's coming back from Barcelona, I believe. And she's, like, moving into our house or something. Yeah, unpacking from her apartment, because apparently she packs up everything when she goes on a mission and then unpacks it. It wasn't clear why she was putting things I got the impression that she was moving, and then they're like, hey, we got a job in Barcelona, and she's like, well, I guess I'll leave my stuff in boxes or something like that. All right, there could be an interplay there, but Ewan McGregor was trying to get in her apartment with keys because we established that oh, yeah, yeah. they had been dating, but she changed the locks because they broke it off. Well, again, I, with the elliptical nature of the dialogue, I don't think they do establish. I think it's all implied through the keys and then the like dirty looks that he gives her later on. And then uh, at the end of the movie when uh, Antonio Banderas is like, was this personal? And Ewan McGregor is like, no, no, totally. Well, I want to say Chang Tatum maybe says you and Kenneth, and she says we're done. Before the love scene, and then he says, oh, yeah. and then she says, and I quit the company an hour ago, which there's no explanation as to what that means. Right. Well, we find out later that she was, was offered more money from well, elsewhere or something. And yet she quits the company an hour ago. I thought she called and resigned or something. We didn't see that. She gets back to San Diego, and Ewan McGregor is at her door as if he doesn't know that she quit. Uh, Isn't he trying to get her to not quit? It's so obscure that maybe that's his <laughs> motivation. We could. Fill in anything you want for why he's there. They didn't say it. So he <laughs> offers her a job, but he's not like, stay, or this is the one last gig. He sounds like he doesn't know she's leaving. That's true. He so does. he's like, oh, it's a walk in the park. And she's like, I need some, some time off, a vacation. He's like, this is like a vacation. She's making it sound like, oh, no, I'm still working for you, champ. I just need two weeks. Maybe she's being uh, the, the kind of, per you know, like a independent contractor is like, oh yeah, I'll totally come back, but she's looking for another job. <laughs> right, but apparently that has hit the ground to where Michael Douglas and everyone, Antonio Banderas knows, so it's odd in the way it's phrased or the way it comes across because she said she quit and yet he's there and he doesn't act like he knows she quit. They do the exchange of him having the keys. They're trying to, again, build the, oh, we were a thing once without saying it, and yet it's awkward and it doesn't come across, so... Yeah, I think the uh, it does some some parts of this feels like the movie was was shuffled around. Yeah, and uh, maybe that was season. it was in a different place originally. But she's like we said unpacking, and yet we know she's been there for a while because he had formerly had keys. Right. So it's not like she just moved in. But she ultimately he's talking about a job. This is again a scene where there's no fighting. So she <laughs> comes across as wooden, and again the writing isn't great. So I. Didn't think it was great, but it sets up her going to Dublin to meet up with an MI6 agent where we don't know what she's supposed to do. She's supposed to be eye candy. She doesn't even seem to know what right. she's supposed to do. And that seems irresponsible on her part for as much as we've seen her, you know, planning or saying, oh, we'll wait for the others to get here in Barcelona. She seems very by the book. And to do something and to be like, okay, I'm flying someplace, ex-boyfriend, uh, ex-employer who may or may not know that I'm going to leave you <laughs> holding the bag or take a bunch of clients, you know, like... She should be suspicious, and it's dumb that she's not. <laughs> or, again, maybe they tell her off screen and she does know, but she doesn't act like she knows when she gets there. No, I, th I don't think she knows. She knows that they're making contact with a guy, with Matthew Kasovitz, who's Studer. Yeah. Uh, Who actually... But she doesn't know... It's that she clearly does not know what the purpose of right, the, is. The mission, and uh, I guess maybe they get these kind of assignments where it's just feel out, make, establish your person, and then a month later we're going to have you bump into him at a party in Monaco or something. So maybe this is standard in just laying groundwork or something, but just her not getting enough info or us not getting enough info felt irresponsible or like the storytelling just wasn't great. 
Yeah, I mean, I liked the introduction of Michael Fassbender and them kissing when they see each other and sort of faking it and all of that stuff. I think that actually worked because Gina Carano is not great at acting, <laughs> and you know that the agent Mallory is supposed to be acting like she's the husband. You know, this is her husband, and they're you know when they're just meeting for the first time. So the kiss came across as awkward, <laughs> and it's almost like oh, there's a reason in the story for that. <laughs> when I don't know that that was actually. <laughs> I think that's what they meant it to be. So they they go to the hotel room. And he's sort of charming and stuff and everything's fine. And she goes into the fridge and there's like a, a pack of blood. And it's like, oh, you know, in case we get shot and we need a transfusion. And she was just checking to see if type. it's O negative or AB positive or whatever the hell she has. And she puts it back. They don't use it at any point. It's just there, just in case. And another thing that I liked about that while we're on the subject was they didn't explain that. She, just, she pulls out the blood, looks at it, and puts it back. And I'm like, ah. No one had to, they don't have a conversation about it because they both know. So I, as the audience member, just have to listen and have, or have to pay attention. In response to that, I actually wondered about that. I saw the blood and the medical, you know, saline or whatever else they had in the fridge. And I thought that person they were abducting, they were going to knock out or do surgery on or something more elaborate than what I later figured out. Like after the movie, I was like, why did they even have that? I guess it was medical supplies in case they got hurt. Like... I was a little more quizzical about it. I think if they had added, had like syringes or I don't know, something else in there that spelled out more first aid rather than, I didn't even, I caught the blood one, but the other bags, I was like, are those some kind of drug or this guy that they're pulling out? I just assumed there were other parts of... Yeah, I thought it, maybe he had a medical condition they had to put him under, so... It was odd, and I think I injected way too much. So once, once again, you're, you you think it's a setup for something, and then it's not, and this is. <laughs> and you're saying that's my fault. <laughs> yes. The history of action or any movie say you put something in there for a reason. I understand Chekhov's gun. If you if you put a gun out in the first act, it needs to fire in the third act. Right. And the blood the blood gun never fires. Exactly. <laughs> Then we have this exchange where he's somewhat charming, although he looked like he lost a lot of weight from being Magneto. Like, he didn't look overly healthy in this movie to me. So maybe was that it, was... Didn't he lose a lot of weight for, for some other movie Shane where he's dying or, or something? Oh, I'm uh, not sure what he did in between. He's in every movie now, so he like I, I don't... It could be anything. He came out of nowhere, and when you see him and Ewan McGregor, you're like, oh, good old Scottish guy. Like, but before, I think, Inglorious Bastards, I really liked him in, didn't know who he was. Didn't know the name or anything. He's the British agent in that. And then uh, he kind of blew up with X-Men and, you know, everything around there. He's And now he's in five movies that are coming out. So good for him. But seeing him and Ewan McGregor, you're like, oh, yeah, those, you know, Scottish actors that have been around for a while. And you go, no, wait, Ewan McGregor's been doing this for like 23 years. <laughs> this guy, eight months. So <laughs> I, Maybe he's been doing shit in England this yeah, whole time and we have no idea. Yeah, the Parker, they all have to do that. But... So I'm not saying he just started acting, but I'm just saying he's been notable for like eight months or something. It's a testament kind of how good he is that he has quickly risen, you know, up and... Yeah, I always get you and McGregor confused with uh, James McAvoy. So, like, I thought they had been in X-Men together yeah, before you stop and think about it. When I saw them first acting in the scene in the bar, at, like, towards the end, I'm like, oh, they reunited from X-Men. I'm like, no, yeah, that was someone else. <laughs> uh, Scottish people are generally easily replaceable. I think <laughs> what we're coming down to. But uh, when they're in the hotel room, again, he's slightly suave and everything, but I, I don't think it's as charming. I think his style and his kind of charmingness is very in vogue right now with Mad Men level of 60s. He looked like he still had the same haircut from, from X-Men oh, First yeah. Class. No, and that totally works when you have a British accent. <laughs> like, 
you know, did that over here and I tried to walk around like that, it would be odd. Although there are Americans doing it again. John Hamm is the poster boy for it. Ryan Gosling's doing it, you know, somewhat successfully with a crazy stupid love. He's got, again, like a very chic kind of look that is echoes all that. So it's very popular right now. I think that's why Michael Fassbender's come up so quickly. But while they're in the hotel room, he's being suave and everything, but they, she still doesn't trust him. She's using her training and everything, regardless of what Ewan McGregor's character said, that this guy's MI6 and fine, goes through his stuff and then ultimately uh, turns on GPS location on his phone. And I was like, oh, well, that's, it, it's a little tense because he's in the bathroom and like yeah. running the water and then stops and she looks and I'm like, ooh, this is taut. But then he, he runs the shower and I was like, if he were a good spy, he'd figure out that that had happened somehow. But then the next thing, she is then, he comes out, she's then goes into the bathroom and I'm like, you don't think he's going to do the same thing. She took her phone with her, though. I th We make a point of taking her phone with her, and yet I'm like, all your other stuff is vulnerable. Like, I was like, leave your phone there, but turn on the silent recording feature, or leave your phone and put an iPhone in a chandelier or someplace. Like, video cameras are so small that I was like, do something or have even, like, the snake cameras that go under a door that we see in most spy movies. I think she does actually have to take a shower and, and right. put on her makeup. I realize that, and yet... <laughs> Put that snake camera under there and then hook your iPhone up to it to record. Like, literally, I was thinking of the myriad of ways. I was like, you know he's going to do something just like what you did, right? And then she's like, no, I'm going to take my phone. That's good enough. And guess what? Later on, that happens. kind of come back. But we finish up here. They both make a point of saying, I'm leaving my gun. Okay, I will leave mine. Let's place them here. Then we go to the party and... Which I don't understand. She has a decent-sized purse and she's allowed to bring a larger purse. I understand... If he can't bring a gun because you'll see it in the holster or something, get a purse that's big enough for a gun or a small gun just because you're a spy. Like, I think it should really, be a thing that you do. It could have been an exchange where they said, um, should we, you know, uh, how are you going armed? And he says, no guns. You know, they, this guy has enough security around him. No, no, no. She starts it off. She says, no. I'm not bringing my gun. And he's yeah. like, neither am I. It, I could see there being a motivation for it. Again, they give us none. So I interjected like, oh, this is a very paranoid rich guy. If he found a gun on either of them, they'd be executed. You know, or his guys noticed it in any way or patted them down. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm a rich guy. Let's go to skiing. And they're like, okay, let's go. Oh, before you get in the limo, they have to do this. I'm sorry. It's so awkward. And then they find it dead. Uh, so I could see it as a precaution. Like, let's both leave it. We're just supposed to meet and greet this guy. And it's not worth the risk. And then they go to the party. And it seems like... Uh, Michael Fassbender and Matthew Kasovitz know each other, but yet he has a wife that Matthew Kasovitz never met. I think it's a... That was a weird, like... We've met twice and talked about business, but my wife was also... Like, if he's over there on business, maybe his wife doesn't travel with him, so he's... But he's all like, we're going skiing, and he's like, it's a little expensive. I don't care how expensive it is. We're going skiing. Yeah. And it's like, I you think... say that to someone you met? Granted, maybe rich people are different. Yeah, and that's know. what I was writing off as, as he's rich and he's saying, like, he doesn't say, oh, I'm paying for everything, even when Michael Fassbender says it's expensive, which is, I thought that was going to be the excuse, and that he's just this gregarious rich person who wants everyone to do everything he does, and is willing to throw money at it, so he buys friends. So I would have believed that, but there were a few, it was awkward. Um, in real life, I could see it being awkward in that, oh, well, I'll have to check with my wife, and she's like, what the hell, this guy's pressure, you know coming on like he's going to buy friends and I that would be awkward in real life but it was still awkward in a different way <laughs> also Matthew Kasovitz there it's pronounced Matthew it's Matthew ridiculous because right. it's French <laughs> he's a French actor and at first I didn't recognize him and I literally thought because he had like a Middle Eastern looking bodyguard 
he, to me, looked Middle Eastern. He had, and it might just because I think his nose has an odd bump in it, and it, he looked a bit like uh, Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran. Like, so I was like, oh, he's an Iranian guy that's worth money. And it wasn't until later when I looked up who the actor is that I'm like, he's French? Is he like a Persian guy that lives in France? No, he's a French, French guy <laughs> who was in Amelie. Like, once I recognized him, I'm like, he was in Amelie, and he was actually in The Fifth Element as the guy holding the gun outside Bruce Willis's door that's clearly on something. He says, give me the cash. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that guy. He does not, he did not age well, or he does not look like himself. He might have lost some weight, but he looks very small and not French in this movie. So good acting on his part. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, but the exchange between them is awkward. Not in a, like, oh, this is awkward because she's not great at working a room like Angelina Jolie is in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You know, she's not, she's the more hardcore fighting agent. And yes, she looks good in a dress, but she doesn't know the pleasantries. It came across more awkward as even Michael Fassbender seemed awkward with him. And he's met him a couple times. During that whole conversation, there was, when you have three actors, uh, usually when you have two actors talking, you have what's called the, the 180 degree line, or... You, you follow the 180-degree rule. You draw an imaginary line between the actors, and the camera stays on one side of that line. It has 180 degrees of movement when you cut from one to the other, so the actor looks like they're looking in the same direction. Right. Uh, when you have three actors, that's really hard, because you, now, you now, instead of having one line, you have three lines, so that when you're cutting from one actor, from, her, from Michael Fassbender to Gina Carano, that she's looking the right way, and then she has to turn to look at... Matthew Kasovitz, and then you have to jump over a different line. And it's, it's sort of complicated. And so usually you'll film an actor from both sides so that you can use one camera or the other depending on which character they're talking to and which one you're going to cut to next. And it's sort of a complicated thing. It, like, it increases the number of shots exponentially that you have to do to cover this. And that's fine. It's just sort of a filmmaking thing. But when Matthew Kasovitz is talking... They would cut, during his dialogue, they'd cut from one of the cameras on him to the other one. The first time they did it, I was like, that's sort of a weird cut. I wonder why they were emphasizing it. And they sort of go around the circle and come back to him and then do that cut again. And they did it like eight times. And it really felt like he was just trying to annoy me that he was jumping over. Not me specifically, but to be like, there's a, there's a film rule that you can't jump over the line. I'm jumping over the I line. I just did it. Eat it. And I was like, you're... Just, you're not emphasizing anything anymore. You're just sort of violating rules because. I don't think that stuck. I didn't catch that, but really? I did feel that that. You're married to an editor. Yeah, how did that, how did I that did not feel jump? that that was disjointed? I am from the school of, mind you, in film school, they said there's this rule. And I said, there are no rules. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. And then they went, look at these scenes. I went, actually, one does look better, but that's if you're trying to make sense. Like, I, tell me the rules, I'll break them. <laughs> like, so I am fine with people using it. If it sticks out and looks awkward, then, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. It, w it was only awkward because he did it repeatedly. It okay. felt like he was making a point. I did notice, again, that it didn't, like, it was awkward and the conversations didn't seem like they made sense. They were, again, those elliptical, vague, like, even when I you, couldn't tell between if... agents, like, fine, <laughs> within the coffee shop, it's like, did you get the package? And, <laughs> sure, there's people around, you know, this is supposed to be a cocktail party where, like... I'm not clear if Matthew Kasovitz is supposed to be a spy or something, or if he's supposed to be a dumb rich guy who doesn't know what's going on. I'm not there, entirely no, sure. By the end of the movie, you're unaware of, again, his nationality. He's French, <laughs> Persian guy that's trying to silence a Chinese dissident reporter that's exposing something about it. And I'm like... Well, what? at the end, Fassbender's like, it doesn't matter if he's a... Or is it Ewan McGregor? Ewan McGregor says... McGregor says 
it doesn't matter if he's a dissident or a reporter or whatever. Or scientist. It's just, we killed people like this. Right, and I thought that was interesting for you and McGregor to say, like, oh, we made up that story. But then when we do the reveal with uh, Antonio Banderas and Matthew Kasovitz talking, he said, oh, this dissident or this guy's been causing problems for you. I don't know if he said journalist, but I was like, oh, exposing if you're Iranian and he's Chinese, maybe they've been selling nuclear stuff to you and he's writing about it. I invented again a story in the back of my head that would make sense because none was given to us. <laughs> but none of that is none of that relates to like ultimately what it comes down to is that you and McGregor fucked over Gina Carano and that's what you're supposed to care about. Right. That's not like a screenplay though. That like <laughs> just saying that is not a movie. Like you have to fill in parts. So yes, that could be like a slug line or you know a pitch, but uh, in between someone's supposed to put words in between those to be like here's why. It, or you say, you know what? It doesn't matter why. Like, Ewan McGregor almost has that line, but then it goes back to, here's Antonio Banderas and Matthew Kasovitz saying why. Like, <laughs> we just said it didn't matter. It stick to one or the other. I mean, it's a little inconsistent, but right. it doesn't so, bother me as much as it, it seems to bother you. It felt like they did the action sequences, and those were cool, and then like, and there's, again, this revenge. It's a revenge spy story. It's, you, you get it. It's old hat. Everyone will know where we're at. And they're like, now put these together, and like, that didn't really make sense. Re rearrange them. Rearrange the scenes. <laughs> hey, we go to Dublin first. No, that doesn't make sense. And they got it to an 80%. You know what? This, if you don't look at it too closely, this kind of works. And that's where they left it. But uh, they go to the party. But then they ultimately separate. And she's like, oh, I'm going to go over here. Oh, look for, there's a hench. One of the henchmen actually turns out recognized her. She recognized him from Baghdad or somewhere. Yeah, she doesn't really remember where. She goes, Michael Fassman's like, you go deal with that. I'm going to go find, track down this guy. She goes into the room where the henchman is, and he's chatting up like four girls and saying, yeah, we're going to have a party. And he, again, makes eye contact with her, and then she walks out of the room, and then I'm like, oh. And then she like go, is in a hallway, and she's like, all right, can't go through. There's a locked door. And I thought she's prepping where she's going to have this awesome fight, where she takes out this guy. Yeah. Then she goes up onto a stairwell and is waiting, and I'm like, she's waiting for him to come through the door, right? And then he, he doesn't, and I'm like, what? Like, how, you're supposed to be dealing with this guy. This is clearly a... a loose end, then you hate those. Uh, instead, she opens her phone and starts checking it and is looking at the tracking device she put in Michael Fassbender's phone. I'm like, I get, again, objectives-wise, I get that you're supposed to be suspicious of him, and it's very good to be because ultimately he's double-crossing you, but as her operating procedure, she should be like, the mission is the guy, Studer. Right now, that means wrapping up this loose end and making sure his henchman, even if she doesn't know he knows him or that he doesn't tell anyone he knows who I am. That's the objective that she's being paid for, and then dedicate 20% of your attention to maybe Michael Fassbender is trying to betray me. It's never mentioned again in the movie, is it? No, and we never go back to that, like, to her trying to wrap that up. She goes and sees that Michael Fassbender is, first off, her phone has the tracking guidance thing, and I was fine when she was putting a trace on his BlackBerry that she had a program on her laptop that's called, like, Trace Back, you know? And it's like, like fine, that's a super spy thing that got developed. But it has a blueprint of the old Irish 16th century chateau we're in. I'm going to stop you right there. Google is currently working on that. There are many buildings that currently you can locate yourself with Google, just Google technology. Uh -huh. So if government technology or like spies that are contractors, that's a thing. Like I that's not actually unreasonable. That. And again, <laughs> Google, even Google Maps draws squares where the buildings are. And usually they get the size or shape. Sure, yeah. yeah. Outline right ish. 
I still don't think Google Maps has covered most of Ireland, let no, alone no, no. the Maybe 16th century Maybe. chateaus and how many floors. <laughs> There's an you know, abattoir underneath. That's not the right word. I, <laughs> I was going to say, why is that? <laughs> oubliette. There's a, like, oh, here's on the Google Maps of this 16th century, you know, and the oubliette <laughs> underneath and all of the... I don't think it's that advanced. It was a small note that I went, really? That's advanced. All right, whatever. But it shows him walking out back. She sees him go into a barn, which looks suspicious, but me not knowing what their mission here is or what his interaction with Studer was, I'm like, maybe that's part of the plan. Yeah, like, honestly, it I was, was like, not suspicious enough to be like, where's he going? Because I don't know what they're supposed to be doing here. I didn't even know if it was supposed to be suspicious. I was like, now, did he plant a thing and then she has to do the second part of the... Because we don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I assume she doesn't either, but she goes out there because apparently it was suspicious. And then she finds the Asian dissident reporter with a bullet in his head and then the brooch she wore clutched in his hand. No, wait, to be clear, not just a bullet in his head, bullet in his head and cut throat, which I was like, do you have to do both? I did not notice the cutthroat. Actually, when she's going into the barn, it, they have like old faded signs and everything and like a tea kettle because the workers from the old tiny chateau come in here. I keep using chateau even though they're not. It's tiny. a really large. It's a <laughs> large, you know, it's not a castle, but it's a Irish Mansion, manor. I think manor. So then the, the workers from the manor, like that work the fields, come in here to have their tea. And yet there's a bed with handcuffs on it and then a sheet with some a little bit of blood. And I'm like... Somehow this just doesn't make sense. My family's from Ireland. I've been there several times. And I'm just like, when you go into a barn, you know, or into someplace in backwoods, Arkansas or someplace, it's kind of creepy of like, what's going on in here? And there's scythes and everything. And then if you find a sheet with blood, you're like, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> like you go into the Middle East, you know, and you're like, oh, no, a back like shed alley type thing. Like, oh, no, there might be signs of torture or kidnapping or South America. These places, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. It just looked so weird to have this bed with handcuffs, you know, kind of noticeable on them, and then the sheet. And I'm like, in Ireland? Really? What happens when the workers come in for their tea? I'm pretty like, sure they had this room locked up, like this was the spy's torture room. and was It not did not look locked off. It was a large, crumbling wooden door with like a slide pull open from, again, the 1600s. <laughs> Clearly it's used to store rakes and things, so the, you know, the groundskeeper, even if the rich guy is renting out the whole manor, or whatever, it's like, oh, well, it comes with the staff and groundskeeper and people. This is where they store their rakes. I'm going to do the torture kill room here. And they'd be like, oh, well, like, I mean, maybe they <laughs> paid them a bunch of money that don't rake this week. Stay out of that room. I'm storing valuable stuff in there. Whatever you say, rich guy. Again, I'm inventing a lot of motivations <laughs> that maybe that happened, but it just stuck out as odd. And it might be, again, my opinion of Ireland is like rolling hills and nice people and stuff. And like, oh, to be sure, to be sure. Yeah, right. You jackass. Uh, <laughs> not as much like, ooh, let's creep the camera in and we're probably going to find a body. I'm like, there's no way we're finding a body in here. <laughs> what? And so that just stuck out. And then him clutching the brooch, I was like, why don't they just write a big sign that says, if authorities are wondering who killed me. Like, it was so on the nose of like, oh, they're well, framing me Well, this is how up. retarded I am. When I saw the brooch, I was like, is this a threat? <laughs> <laughs> and then they showed the video watching him, and I was like, oh, okay. No, no, that flashback of her wearing the brooch, I at first was shockingly insulted because I don't like flashbacks very much. Like, they're, I find them insulting. I'm like, I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She wore this one. I was like aghast when it first started because I was like, that was four minutes ago. <laughs> I know where that it's her brooch. Thank you. 
they saved it by showing the uh, cameras getting it on screen. Right, that's what I think the purpose was. But then I even went, really? They're going to scan every video camera in the city. It's not like London with the... the well, I'm pretty sure the bad guys are going to guide Right, but the, the fact that, that like, this all failed... If I were a cop, even in Ireland, I would go... Why is this on a silver platter? Wait, like, do they have police in Ireland? I thought no one was ever killed in Ireland. Uh, I'm pretty sure that every cop in the eastern United States for the first you know hundred years of America or from the 1800s was Irish. So yes, we right because there was the cops. there was none in Ireland right. because there was no murders yeah. according to you. Just saying that uh, it seems a little too convenient. Like even in the backwoods area of Sligo or wherever county they're at, where they don't get a lot of murders, I would go. This is very convenient with these people all pointing at this one woman and then... Yeah, I mean, like, if she did kill him and he struggled and ripped the brooch off, like, would she, like, shoot him in the head and then, yeah, have that Even brooch. framing her up, you're like, okay, there. this is the storyline they're trying to construct. She is a private contractor that works for this company and she helped save this dissident reporter from his hostage takers. Then... She tracked him back down to Ireland after the fact and went, now I'm going to kill him. Like, I could invent a story of, oh yeah, she was leaving this... Well, you and McGregor claimed that she was being paid off to kill the guy. Right, and so we can kind of construct the backstory of, okay, she gets back in Barcelona, she tells the other highest bidder that, hey, you know that guy you wanted dead? I now know where he is and I can sell, you know, his death to you. We have to construct a lot of that because I'm just like, how would this all hang together? So not only do you want the plot explained to you, you want the fake plot that the bad guys have made up right. that didn't actually occur yes. also if, explained to you. If that falls into a motivation <laughs> for the primary plot, then yeah, we should maybe know what... <laughs> Not just, oh, we have this file folder with our plans in it. Those are, oh, there's, these are awesome. <laughs> Whatever's in here is totally explains all the problems you're having out here. If we just told people what it is, it would solve all those. We're not going to. It's in this folder, so you can't see it, viewers. Like, <laughs> that also I would have problems with. They're like, oh, yeah, that thing would answer all the questions. So, unless there was, in, actually, that sounds like an awesome movie. Like, <laughs> like, oh, man, what is in that? But this is not that movie. So... They then, she figures out that they're trying to frame her up, but she has to get back inside before Michael Fassbender knows she's missing, so he calls her phone. She says she's in the ladies' room. He says she's in the main room. Going to meet back up, but we get back to the hotel, and now she knows, all right, this is where he's going to kill me, which, again, in their storyline of, so she killed this guy. I found out about it, and then I waited till she got back to the hotel room, and I shot her in the head in self-defense or something. Why not just watch the barn, wait for her to go in there, or say, hey, I'm Michael Fassbender, I'm in the barn. She comes in, shoot her, and be like, put the gun in her hand, say, yeah, I walked in, she shot this guy, and I shot her. Yeah, that does seem like a better plan. How about not leaving all this room to go, like, oh, things could go wrong on the way back to the hotel, or how about when she's walking in the hotel, I'm like, she's really going to let him go behind her, huh? She's like, takes off her shoes out in the hallway, which people even chuckled in the, hall, in the movie theater because they're like, Oh, I can see a fight coming. She knows that he's going to attack her. She's getting ready for it. It could just look like, oh, my feet hurt, but she's getting ready in the fighting stance and everything. And yet she walks right in front of him then. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's weird. And then he, he totally just hits her, and, and, it's, and, and then the like, fight is on. Yeah, the fight goes on, and I guess he underestimated her and thought, oh, I have the element of surprise. I'm going to punch her in the back of the neck, which does seem like it would... But... I mean, really, if he's trying to just button things up, shoot her, and then take her hands and scratch your face. Like, oh, self-defense. She went crazy, put a gun in her hand and say it was her or me. You're the only one left alive. 
and you have all these other people pointing towards her, like, why take the chance of punch in the back of the head? And it's like, yeah, that knocked her down. And now she's back up. <laughs> you had the element of surprise, and you used it to punch her? Like... <laughs> So the fight He does look like he punched her really hard, by the way. He does. So, and again, maybe he underestimated her, and her in real life, Gina Carino, like, probably can take that punch and get back up. So, yes, it's believable in the physicality of it, but the, the just kind of stupidity of them as a man. Well, I think we're, I think they illustrate his hubris when he's like, well, is she tough? And, and Ewan McGregor's like, nah. And, and he's like, okay. And then I'll, so I think he believes he'll be able to take her on. Yeah. So but, they, they finally get to a fight scene again. Yeah. No, I don't, you say finally, but this is such a short movie. I feel like it was maybe that's five true. minutes. But the problems that were... The fight scenes are what they do right, and the number of problems that they had in the ten minutes between <laughs> them made it feel like a long time. I was rolling along with it, and then the fight scene was pretty awesome. There was a lot of bouncing around, and then bass smashing, and, and so on and so forth. And it was pretty uh, rough. Uh, and then... You go for the gun. I thought he was actually... There was a point when he goes for the gun. I thought he was going to pull the gun and it was empty. And she was like, ah, sucker. That would have been something to show that she had the one up. Or again, like, for as much as she let her guard down to go in the shower, if she had come back out and then done another sweep, including taking the bullets out of his gun. Well, because before she puts it in there, she checks her... She checks the clip. And, but you can't really see, there's not like a close-up on it. And I was like, is she, did she check it to see if it was empty? So they have a long protracted fight scene that is awesome. They smash through couches and break bases over each other's heads. Um, she kicks him through a glass door. It's pretty cool. He starts backing up and saying, wait, no, you, uh, you've been acting crazy all this time. It's, he's trying to like talk her down. It's clear he's going for the gun. She already, I think, yeah. pulled him away from the gun. This trying to reason with her or say, how, how, imagine how this looks. Is like the stupidest ruse ever when he's crawling towards a gun. It's not like she forgot it's there. It was a weird thing when he said, you've been acting crazy this whole time. And I'm like, she hasn't been. She's been, like, yeah. perfectly professional you, up until this yeah, point. It's not even like there's video of her, you know, or, like, the other people would say, you were acting weird at the mansion because she wasn't. Like, if he had... But, I mean, he's, the up, only person he's talking to is her. Yeah. What She knows she hasn't been acting crazy. It was right. a strange thing to say. Like, yeah. it's not... He's, again, he's trying to say, like, think about how this looks. You can walk away right now because, like, if you kill me, it's going to look bad. Like, killing him wouldn't look bad. But it's this paper's thinnest ruse of, like, the character to try and pull that it's kind of stupid. Backing up towards the gun and she takes away from him. They fall on the bed. She puts a figure four leg lock on his head. And uh, that was actually pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty cool because it's one of the just bread and butter kind of, like MMA moves that I was like, actually, that's really good. That's what an actual fight looks like, you know, more so. So it wasn't the fantastical elements, but really the realistic one that she ultimately takes him unconscious and then continues to be... And the whole theater starts to giggle because it's like, ah, his face is near her vagina. And I was like, yeah, ah, come uh, on, guys. Like, this is... Part of it, He's know. being... He's choking to death. Like, yeah. this is... <laughs> no, it <laughs> this was... is extremely violent and not at all humorous. Right, and then she falls on the floor and is almost sitting on his head again there. But uh, I liked that she then... She keeps punching him a few times, but then grabs the pillow. And I thought she was going to interrogate him, ask who, you know, set her up and other things that we see. But no, she just grabs the pillow and kills him. I'm like, actually, that's a bit more, for as much as I've had a problem with you not getting enough information. <laughs> that was the one time where I'm like, yep, just go straight for murder right there. Like he, he does not. It's too dangerous to. Yeah. Don't draw this out. Just tie the loose end. You can figure out other stuff out later, which she does. Cause he gets, she checks his phone and you and McGregor's called several times. She calls him 
and uh, he gives away that he says... Oh, I, I, I've seen that scene a thousand times where they're like, is she murdered? Wait, Wait. am I talking to you? <laughs> like, yeah. that, I've seen that a thousand times and it's not ever... It, it stopped being sort of clever a long time well, ago. Well, small elements like that actually made me really not like Ewan McGregor's character. Like, I like Ewan McGregor. I liked his acting in this. But his character is so stupid that it's yeah, unbecoming. And you would think, oh, you work in the professional killing business. You would be a little more discreet, a little less like fanboy of like, did it totally happen? You killed her, huh? Like, stupid bitch. Her and I used to go out. He would have the decorum to say like, go for the, you know, go for well, Kenneth. I, he said is the... Divorce final. Yeah. Which is just cheesy as all get out. Right, anyway, I'm not saying weird. that he's like, did you kill her that I paid you? <laughs> like, they're not on an open line. I'm just saying he should be so like used to covering his bets and not talking about this stuff, he should assume that maybe it's her on the other end. Right. Like, the fact that he doesn't makes him stupid in my eyes and makes me like the character a lot less. Not in a, ooh, he's a bad guy you love to hate kind of way. In a, this guy's stupid and deserves to die. He never would have gotten to where he was acting like this. You know, he wouldn't be this high of a government contractor. I'm glad you're not in charge of education in this country because apparently, like, stupid is a death penalty worthy offense. Pretty much is. We've established that in several movies. When your business is life and death, when you... uh, are either killing people or ordering kills and stuff, you being stupid, yes. That is a real <laughs> consequence for messing up. Like, if you're working in a steel plant or something and you're being stupid, like getting your hand chopped off in machinery, that's a risk of your employment. So yes, in these movies where these people are dealing in death, being stupid is punishable by death. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so, they uh, hang up the phone call. She now knows that he's the one behind it. She has to get out of the hotel and, you know, us presumably backups on the way or the police. Or, because while they were fighting, I was like, no one has complained about the noise and the smashing glass. And they do say, oh, the people called the police. Like, so she ultimately has to run. And she's walking down the street. There's a man in a, like, tan trench coat across the street. And he's walking at the same pace as her. And she, cha- like, stops. He stops. At that point, he's blown. And she, and yet she like looks at him and then keeps walking. I'm like, they better go the route of this just happens to be a guy that is going the same direction as you and just really coincidentally took the same turns. Because if this guy is tailing her, he is the worst in his job and therefore deserves to die. Now, uh, <laughs> He's bad at his job and she does, she does nail him and she get does, away. It takes her an additional 10 minutes once he's blown. Because you can't just, if she starts running... Then they'll just start pulling out guns. She needs no. to... She doesn't want him to know she's on to him. But he should not want her to know that he's on to him. <laughs> she, he should not want her to know that he is following her right. either. Once they do, someone should pull a gun. Because that's where it's going. We all know But this. he doesn't know... Because she doesn't react, he doesn't know that she's on to him. He should. <laughs> he, again, she stops, I stop, I go, Oh crap, I just messed up, she knows. Like, the, how badly he's doing, he should... She doesn't say, Hey, you... You following me? <laughs> but at that point, again, when she when he stopped, I wanted her to pull out a gun and shoot him from across the street. And like, you're, are, there are cops on the way. They know a woman or someone like got shot, and they're going to track you. Like, take this guy out. Yes, it speeds up the timeline like five minutes because now passersby will have a description. But still, she starts running, or she crosses the street in between cars, and he now starts running after her. And I'm just like, there were tactical ways to handle that. Like, before, just step into a place, go out the back door. Shoot a guy across the street in broad daylight. Is tactical, exactly. <laughs> there's, a, there's a time for violence. There's a time to weep. A time to, it's in the Bible. 
time to shoot a guy across the street in Ireland. <laughs> so she's now running through buildings and everything like the, and the, uh, she loses him in a okay enough way of going through back yeah, doors. It works out, but then she should walk out on the street and kind of get back to usual. She goes into a cell phone store, buys a burner cell phone. And, and then, then she realizes the tracer's in her bag, not on her phone. Right. So that was fine enough, all, and she cuts it out really, relatively quickly, because I was like, eh. And it's a large beeping box. And I was <laughs> like, really? I would have dropped a second cell phone on there. Like, not something that screams tracking device. Or I would have thought it would be the size of a thumb drive in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, guardee show up, uh, Irish police, and I, I thought about it, because, again, my mom has a cousin who's a guardsman, and uh, I was like, hear the sirens? I'm like, do they have SWAT? I know they have the guardie who's the regular police. Like, But then they show up and it's the same ones. And I was like, all right, I guess they could train some guys to be good for the few crimes that blow up, you know. Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah, I was about to say blow up with, again, that's a different level of Irish history that proves <laughs> that, yes, they would have some people that are trained with dealing with extreme situations. But, uh, so she runs from them and uh, starts climbing buildings or throwing chairs down uh, stairs to get away from them. She ends up doing these rooftop jumps and gets away to several buildings over. I'm like, oh, that was a... That Which, was by the way, again, with the, the great camera work, like, there's a lot of shots where, like, she runs by, and then in the background we see the the cops, you know, chasing uh, and looking around, because she's coming around the corner in a different way, and we can tell that they can't see her, but we can see both of them at the same time. Like, it, they're, they're keeping the geography very clear, where everything is and where everybody's going and how close they are to her at any given point. So again, the, the photography and the, the editing, very well done during this chase. Yeah, I agree. And yet I still feel like she crosses like three rooftops. She goes through a window. She comes down. She goes down some stairs and there's police coming up the stairs. And I was like, how many buildings did they just say, you know what, you take the eight buildings that way. <laughs> you take the eight buildings that way. Everyone just start at the ground floor, check every room, and then work your way up the stairs. Yeah, that was a little... I feel like something was missing when they showed up. I was like, how did they know? Yeah, and then she goes back upstairs. She goes to another building, and there's still guys. She beats up those guys. She beats up two of them, and I was like, this now feels like there are 80 guys looking for her when I was guessing maybe 12. Like, you know. I think we only saw four at any one time. Like, yeah, I think they had four Garda uniforms. Right, and I, of the 12, I was imagining, eight of them were in the first building. <laughs> and then there were two sets of two going each direction, one building at a time, so there was no way they caught up, but... It was fine for what it is. She ends up well. The one unrealistic thing I found in all the one sort of annoying thing in all of the fights is that at a certain point she kicks one of the cops in the nuts, and I'm like, don't they have? I mean, they have body armor. Is a cup not part of their body armor? You also uh, don't want to get shot down there. Like I'm sure there's a metal plate there because that's okay. a, that's I'll an extremely dangerous plate, uh, uh, area where you could bleed a lot because there's a lot of veins and stuff down there. So uh, I, it just seems weird that a kick would do anything. Uh, agreed, but not my biggest problem with the movie. Uh, she... I think it's literally my biggest problem okay. with the movie. Good job. You seem to have a fixation on that area of the body. So, uh, she falls off one of the buildings and gets, you know, knocked. Uh, and she slips and falls and hurts herself, which yeah, again, that was... completely surprised. But she ultimately makes it out of the police dragnet and then to the docks where she calls Antonio Banderas just to. Uh, say kind of like feel it out and say, like the phone call wasn't real clear she says hey i'm doing a report for what we did in barcelona and there's one thing i have left and he's like okay she's like why did you sell me or was it you <laughs> or you and mcgregor that sold me out? <laughs> like we started off playing like pretend like oh he, he doesn't know and then she blows it i'm like shouldn't she have said like continued the ruse until he gave something away like 
and somehow been like, shouldn't you be dead? Oh, wait, I meant, <laughs> like, you know, something, or listen for the surprise in his voice, at least. There was no, like, giveaway as to how she knew he was involved. Yeah. I mean, obviously she left the Chinese dissonant with him, so she can imagine he is, but I was looking for her to confirm it. She didn't. Then Antonio Banderas calls Michael Douglas, and it's not clear if they are in on it. She, he's like, she called and said she was in New York. He's like, okay, uh, maybe don't go outside. That The theater did actually laugh because he's like, maybe don't go outside or your family. And they, <laughs> they were keeping very civil, like, just office conversation going. Then he ends with that, and it was funny. Yeah. But then Michael Douglas calls her and says, hey, their champ, uh, yeah, you and McGregor's bad. We all know that. I want you to help us take him down because I'm with the government, which – like we just said, wasn't real clear, but I'm like, yeah, I don't believe him. Yeah, it's not, uh, the entire time I was like, is he a bad guy or a good guy? But not in a, like, ambiguous, like, he's playing both sides kind of way. It was mostly just like, Confused. still not sure who hired who in that first scene. <laughs> the chairs were on the wrong side! So, uh, she then says, like, okay, I'm going for you and McGregor. And uh, that picks us up. I think we come back to the frame story in the car with... And then they get the car chase with the cops. Yeah, so... Which was, first of all, it's hard to outrun someone going backwards. Now, granted, they're driving slower because they're on the snow and stuff, but still, like, the backwards driving is always like, I don't think you're going to get away. Uh, right. But then, like, she's driving down the road, she sees the one cop, she starts backing up, and then there's another cop coming from behind her, and then there's another road that we never saw at any point. Right at the, the exact moment, with two cars driving variable uh, speeds, she's able to just turn... Because there happens to be a road. Well, we hadn't seen it, and yeah. so was, which is the exact opposite of all the stuff that I was like, oh, they set up with shots before, and you didn't know it was set up, but then it's there. Like, how did she know that that road was there? We didn't know the road was there. No. Regardless of the timing of it, just the fact of its existence is, yeah. is like, where did this come from? The and then they accidentally run into a deer, which is kind of surprising. And jokey, but not well, worth I saving. I think it was it was unexpected. Yeah. So, uh... The thing about that is, is that most of the time, in, in reality, when you hit a deer... It doesn't usually kill the deer. Oh, no. And the deer's, like, freak out, and, like, the way people die is the deer, like, pummeling you with... with no. Now, it, granted, they, they hit it in the back, but still, like, it, the deer wasn't moving. And I was like, that's yeah. weird. It was a little not realistic, since I know some people that hit deer and you know, get in the car, and, like, in Tommy Boy, just start yeah. airing anything up. I thought... That documentary soon, time. <laughs> exactly. Shot in real time. Tommy Boy, the documentary. Uh, I thought, as soon as she leaves the, the road, I'm like... You're in a Mitsubishi. Like, granted, it's probably a four-wheel driver and all-terrain, you know, sport package. They're in, like, Suburbans with, with probably not just stock tires. They're state troopers for, you know, I, for some reason was picturing more like Alaska, even though it said upstate New York. Like, I, I, my mind Wherever they were, they're used to driving in the snow. snow. Yeah. So either way, they're like, hey, well, this is our territory. And no matter what training she's got or where she spent, they're better equipped for it. And I'm trying to think the whole time of what clever things she can do to get out because I'm like, there's three feet of snow on either side of this road. You can't just go over it. You will just bottom out or hit the bank. And So the road appearing was dumb. And then uh, hitting the deer was different and unexpected enough. But I was like, still keep going. I was waiting for more, again, born series, like adapting to like, yes, something unexpected to have, but overcome. So to get out, and I was like, well, that's different. She's like, nope, just give ourselves up. I liked that. I liked the giving up because that's a thing. That's what would actually happen. Right. Like you, there's a certain point when you're you're caught and you just have to like deal with that. Yeah. So I liked that aspect of it. That was a good choice. Then they go for the exchange. She's trying to appeal to the cops. They're not listening to her. I think she's not doing 
it's interesting that she's trying to explain it. She uses, like, code numbers and stuff that, yeah, like, should I, trigger something in them. No, I, that was the one thing. I'm like, you're being too obscure. Like, I'm on an Alpha oh, 138, and I was like... I got the impression it was, like, a thing that, like, law, law enforcement officers would know. I thought it was just jibber-jabber that was going to make them not believe her and just say words like, CIA sanctioned, or, you See, know. I, I thought the exact opposite. If she just said, oh, I'm with the CIA, they'd be like, shut up. But if you're like, it's a code 911, and they're like... Oh, that's, that's yeah, let me real. flip through my my homeland security thing and right. give it all the If she said cops. those words like check your homeland security manual like this uh, like follows under this section. If she spouted that off like giving them That might have been a little clearer, but I think that's what it was supposed to all be. All right, it didn't read that way to me and then they died and I said they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do their jobs. No, actually no, that, that she, was she even says fault. like no no, she says the standard procedure anyways is if you're trading with somebody, you have to stop and right. check with them over the loudspeaker because otherwise they'll just pull up and shoot you, which is what exactly happened. Like, right, but I, I liked that part. She kind of saved it at the end where she said, at least follow the procedure and go over the loudspeaker. And uh, I like that it kind of saved which that. I didn't, I'm surprised that that is procedure, but... <laughs> it might not be in real life, but still, it uh, didn't save them because the guys just drove in and even if they were to be like, okay, let's go over the... Oh, we're dead. Like, they drive in shooting the second you see them. They didn't try and play as federal No, agents. but they should... But the, the cops should should have been farther away in and the they should have had their guns drawn. Yeah. Like, a standard thing when you get out, uh, when you pull someone over, when there's two cars that... Even if it's just for a speeding ticket... The second cop is supposed to get out, be on the opposite right. corner their with their, their hand on their gun, yep. just in case. Yep. And but I'm still going with, and again, this could fall on them for choosing a poor location, even though they didn't choose it. The car, they're like, all right, there's no cars around, no cars around. We're talking about stuff, and oh, I'm shot because as it rounds the first visible corner, they are firing with an assault rifle. They should have been, but I mean, I'm going with that on the dumb. They were dumb. They should have been prepared for that yeah. sort of thing. I agree, and yet. I don't, I feel like I don't, actually, they were the ones that didn't deserve to die in my book because they weren't, like, not doing their job. They hadn't gotten a chance to do their job because their job would be like, okay, now they're approaching. Let's get in the car, use the loudspeaker. They were caught by surprise. So, either way, uh, she gets out of it. She saves, uh... She saves what's-his-name, drives away. Drives away. Then I think we cut, and uh, it's her dad. She's talking to her dad on the phone. Yeah. So... Who, Bill Paxton... During this entire movie, feels like what Bill Paxton was playing in True Lies, not the not the car salesman, the but like the car salesman team. pretending to be a spy. Right. That's what Sleazy. Bill Paxton feels like in this. I think it, I think that is you are confusing. He has a mustache in both <laughs> of those roles. So yes, I think you're. He feels he very fake. He does not feel like a guy who was a marine. He feels like a guy who's pretending he was a marine okay. to be cool. Yeah, no, I do not feel like he brings a lot of gravitas to the role of like, oh, I'm your dad, but I raised you this way. Like, and again, I think Bill Paxton just looks smarmy with a mustache. <laughs> is what you're picking up on. He mostly. looks smarmy anyway. Yeah. Under any so, he doesn't have a mustache in Aliens, and he still looks smarmy. I kind of believe him as an author. I don't believe him as a former marine author. Like, yeah. Apparently, uh, Dennis Quaid was supposed to be in this part. Yeah. And Dennis Quaid, I would have definitely believed a lot more. I think even just build-wise, like, Dennis Quaid's a little stockier of, like, you know... It looks like he could have been a Marine. Could have been a Marine and just let himself go. He's in the, you know, I'm 56 or whatever and used to work out or be, like... Whereas Bill Paxton's a bit, like, slider frame and he does look kind of just frail in this. And 
I believe him as an author or fiction, you know, military historian or something like that. Yeah. But that he does write Simplify and like his daughter clearly is the result of his upbringing. And I'm like, he doesn't look hard enough to have brought her up like no. that. Like, and that even comes across because she calls him and says, hey, they're going to be coming. And then she shows up at his house and sets the trap. Michael Douglas talks to Ewan McGregor saying, you need to go to her father's house and get him, you know, to give her up. Say you're official government and everything. So she sets the trap counter for them and puts, I thought, just a listening device in the uh, fuse box. Oh, I thought it was some sort of trap. I didn't. I, I thought it was a way that for her to remotely turn it off. Yeah, but. I thought it was like small amounts of C4 maybe that she could blow the, the line to like turn off the power. But I thought it was also a listening device. So like, okay, she's setting the trap. They show up and start like saying, we're official federal agents. And Bill Paxton's like, oh, no. There's a little jokey back and forth with him saying Kenneth uh, Ewan McGregor cares like did she ever tell you about this guy she'd been seeing named Kenneth he's like no and he gets butthurt over that <laughs> Channing Tatum laughs and it was a little light moment but the whole exchange I, I didn't believe anything that Ewan McGregor said to him would convince a father to turn over his daughter yeah and when when Bill Paxton pretends to be like okay I'll give her a call and tell her to come in like I, if I were Ewan McGregor I'd be like I don't think I, I changed your mind. I think you're you're now pulling one over on me. Like it, yeah, he think, wasn't convincing, and he should have known that he wasn't convincing. I think she she actually calls him. I don't know that I ever got that Bill Paxton was going to give her up. He just said like that doesn't I sound he, like her. I thought he played that he was going to give her up at some point. Yeah, maybe it's kind of not clear. It's drawn out, and he just goes, "Well, I don't know. It doesn't sound like her," and is just dragging out time to try and give her time, and it works. Uh, she then calls, and um, they track the phone, and the calls are coming from the house. And I was like, did this Using Google Maps. Classic babysitter <laughs> moment. Yeah. But then, at that point, I'm like, why doesn't Ewan McGregor now have Bill Paxton hugged to him with a gun to his head? Right. They're still trying to keep up the federal agent angle, and I'm like, that wouldn't make sense. Like, And then Bill Paxton points it out, and yeah. he says, he's like, shouldn't you call in for More backup? official government people. At that point, and even at that point, uh, Ewan McGregor's like, we can handle this. I'm like... He just said he knows you're not government agents. Why don't you have a gun to his head? And yeah. now he has your chance to say, we're not. Pistol with him. You know, <laughs> now is when you can be the bad guy because he knows you're the bad guy. So uh, the whole exchange reminded me actually a lot of Shooter with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Oh. Yeah. And actually, again, dating back to what we were comparing this movie to, uh, Hannah, La Femme Nikita, like all these movies is the exact same thing. And this felt like the cabin scene in Shooter where it's like, oh, how's... And yet he at least like made Coke bottle little like the IEDs and things. I, she did the exact same thing with the uh, the fuse box. It was actually kind of cool. Took out one of them. I also feel this is one of those circumstances where I feel bad for the extras because I'm like, we know Ewan McGregor's a bad guy. We know he's lying at least to Channing Tatum. So he's probably lying to the other guys yeah. too. They didn't really do anything wrong. Like as far as they know, she's a terrorist and whatever. And uh, she just kills this this guy out of nowhere and I like that's not his it did uh read a little violent to me because I was like yeah that guy was delusional just like Channing Tatum and yet again with Channing Tatum it comes across in this scene that he's like wait I'm not starting to add up you're lying to me but he didn't ask those questions in the diner when he tried to shoot her he was intent on killing her in the diner he put the gun towards her head she moves so even if though he had maybe these questions like he suppressed them in the diner enough, so I was fine with him dying, even though at the end he started to question it. I was like, yeah, I mean, you should have known this was possible when you said, anyone that pays me, I will kill for you. You know what I mean? So he tries to redeem himself, and Ewan McGregor shoots him. Kind of somewhat sad, 
with him dying, but not really. Yeah, it was a little cheesy. She looks at the blood in her hands, and I was like, really? She's got blood on her hands? Like, I thought she was going to save him. Like, I was a little surprised that he ended up dying. Yeah. Although, he, when he was bleeding and she's trying to... There was a fountain of blood <laughs> just spraying out from in between her fingers. And I was Which like... Which is probably what would happen. I was like, yeah, maybe that's actually true. A lot of movies are just like, oh, no. But I'm like, that's no clearly a, a kill shot. Like, <laughs> he's not going to make it. So it, it got that across. But then she takes her hand away, and he goes slack. And I'm like, oh, he, he's dead. And yet it continues in a, like, hose-like stream <laughs> for, like, three more seconds. And I was like, oh, actually, that just... I think that might also be what, what would happen. Wasn't your heart continuing oh, yeah. for a little bit? I, well, I was going to say the hose, like, <laughs> the nozzle-looking uh, spray uh, was my more problem with it. I don't know how long it... it, it I could see starts. the heart still going, but, again, the way it comes out in a tube, <laughs> uh, I don't think that actually happens. So, he dies. Then, uh, actually, one thing that I also liked was the fight scene upstairs with the last the guy with the bathroom yeah because it takes too long for her to actually like get back downstairs and catch you and mcgregor like right. the fight takes a little too long it does and it felt motivated and again there's another one of these small moments where she goes to kick the guy and then continues his head down into the marble sink counter and there's a crunch impact and you're like oh wow that was awesome like those moments are really what stands out about the fight scenes i think when they get invented but still realistic then they actually have Bill Paxton come out up their stairs, and he sees her finish the guy off. And she pulls out a drawer, puts his head on it, and then stomps on him in a curb stomp this kind of way. American History X curb yeah. stomp, yeah. Finishing move, and it, there's a shot of him like being aghast at this. I'm like, I thought you were hardcore and brought her up like this, but it's a weird little aside that makes it feel like he doesn't actually know her or what she does or what she's become. Right. And then the next shot is her face filling the frame, going, where is he? And... He goes, he ran away. And then it shows the actual establishing shot, and she's still 30 yards away from it. <laughs> I was like, why was that impact shot of, like, he, yes, he's in shock, I guess, and this is how it feels to him. But we don't it spend enough weird. time to, like, develop why he feels that way. Or when she goes downstairs to try and save Chantan, there might be a reaction shot of him, like, oh, she isn't totally a human cyborg. Uh, she <laughs> cares somewhat about this guy. So, one last shot is she goes outside looking for Ewan McGregor and says, you better run. Then goes back inside and then Bill Paxton, like, comforts her. And then it shows Ewan McGregor in the ditch on the side of the Watching house, them. Watching them. And I was like, what? Okay. Is he going to start shooting yeah, now? Yeah, like, or? okay. The next scene is him coming back in the house or him waiting for her to come outside. And then, nope. He's just... It, we cut to a new scene and presumably they both went their separate ways <laughs> without finding each other, seeing each other. And they also, like... Was his car not gone? Like, Channing Tatum said, you and McGregor's like, let's go outside. And he's like, you wouldn't make it. And it proves in that exchange that Channing Tatum is actually not just the dumb muscle kind of that we thought he might be in Barcelona. He says, like, you, the car, he's like, we'll get to the car. He's like, and it won't start. And he's guesstimating that she's already taken these precautions. But did you, like, once she goes outside and is looking at the horizon, I thought you and McGregor actually did go to the car and Channing Tatum was just being as paranoid as right. he should be. But he did get in the car, he drove off, and she, I thought, saw headlights. I was scanning the distance yeah. for headlights. Nothing. She says, you better run. I'm like, oh, did she see them and I missed them? So is his car gone or not? What yeah, did she we never see saw that made her think he was running? She landed on a car, so like maybe that was their car. It, it was a it Crown was... Victoria, like a government issue, yeah. if you're trying to. So something, but I'm like, did she think she saw him running on foot? Or is she just like, well, I don't see him around. He must be running. Either way, the last shot of him in the ditch was totally reversed and undid what I thought had happened and what would be next and then was never addressed. They just stayed out in a new scene. 
Yeah, it was very strange. Like you, he either should be running away or should be attacking, and neither, and he just sort of sat there and watched. Yeah. So then we cut to Michael Douglas meeting up with her. In the warehouse. In an airport hangar. Yeah, which honestly I liked that scene. I thought it was I thought it was interestingly shot. Like for one thing, like the the wide shot of the two of them, like and I think there was like a guard there too. Like it goes on for a really long time and just in modern movies you don't let shots go on that long. And I was sort of impressed that they did. Uh, and then he's like, come work for the government instead of them. Which, again, liberal Hollywood trying to say that uh, the private sector is bad and working for the government no, is yeah. good. <laughs> uh, those Blackwater killers out there. Yeah. So I guess he's a good guy? We I, just sort of think he's a good guy because it's the end of the movie. He says, I put you and McGregor at your dad's house, but he could like have told both sides, like, no, I'm on your side, champ. And then whoever comes out alive, he still looks like, oh, no, I'm the one that sent him there. Which... Again, I wonder maybe, if that's maybe what they were trying maybe to do. Maybe intentionally, and that's the way government officials work, and they're that smarmy and go with the victor, so fine. My main problem with this scene, I thought it was fine enough with acting. He, Michael Douglas, holds up, and she is cagey. She's getting better by that point. She's getting better, but I think the motivation for her is to be very, you know, kind of stilted and standoffish because he might still be a bad guy. So it fits, uh, but... From the opening shot of her riding up on her motorcycle, I'm like, he might have betrayed you and he might still be like with you and McGregor there. And yet you riding down this uh, airport runway, out exposed, like sniper territory first off. <laughs> I'm like, well, she's got a helmet on. Maybe they want to confirm it's her. She takes off the helmet like out on the runway and then walks into the warehouse. And I was like, all right, you should be very paranoid right now. Coming and meeting this out in the open and he's got a, clearly a bodyguard there. And she starts, she stays like 15 feet away from him. And I was like, he is not the threat, you realize. Michael Douglas is not awesome <laughs> with a gun. You you can take him. It's the guy in the background or like a sniper in the you know tower that you should be worried about that this situation is not good for you. So get in the hangar. Get very close to Michael Douglas is this answer because if there's a sniper, they'll be afraid of hitting him. And if his guy is going to pull something, he won't want to hit Michael Douglas, right? Everyone security-wise would tell Michael Douglas to stay away from her. Uh, she wants to get within close, like touching distance from him. So that if something goes wrong, she can snap his neck. She's that good. And she, you know, she's the physical one here. And yet she's keeping her distance. I'm like, that's wrong. Yeah. And then she starts circling him like a lioness or something, you know, sizing him up, never taking her eyes off him, and turns her back on his bodyguard, who clearly is the one with the gun. And I was like, this scene just doesn't make sense. Like, she's the worst spy ever and deserves to die. <laughs> uh, I'm like, these choices are wrong. She should not have come in over the runway. She should not have taken her helmet off outside, always keep a Michael Douglas between her and the bodyguard, and then staying within two feet of him in an uncomfortable personal space level. That is the way this should have played out. It didn't, and those kind of like small choices, even if the acting was fine enough, this doesn't feel right either from a technical standpoint. Hmm. But it worked for the story as it was so far. <laughs> it moved it along. Then we go to the beach. He's now. in Mexico. And it's running. And he has a bodyguard. The bodyguard's... You were about to leave, and the bodyguard's like, you want me to come? And he's like, nah, not well, while I walk down the beach. I think that just, as much as I didn't like Ewan McGregor's character, that they clearly did this on purpose. He's stupid, and he makes choices like that, or answering the phone in the way, or setting her up because she broke up with him. Like, he's clearly a stupid guy, and he makes choices like that, and we're supposed to think she is, more, you know, not that stupid. That's why she cleans her gun, you know, instead of winding down. But, like I said, those tech tactical missteps I felt undermined even that he's even worse and looks like he's just hired a local guy for a couple hundred bucks a day to like watch back 
uh, and he even tells him to stay home. So, again, they set up that he's stupid and makes these decisions. But that, again, makes me question how he would have gotten to as high as he is as a government contractor. See, I gather that he's not the field guy. He's the guy, he's the numbers guy, and he's the guy who, does the, who runs the business. You still have to be able to choose talent wisely, like he might have done with her, and or know when to use it. True. And so it undermines his character as even being a bad guy because I'm like, he's so bad he should have died like a long time ago. Yeah, he's usually, terrible at this. Generally speaking, uh, the, the hero is, it, it, it's a better hero if the villain is a bigger villain and Ewan McGregor isn't much. Right. He's not Darth Vader. And that is literally what made me think this fight scene that he's just the small fish, you know, and that, oh no, it wasn't me, it was Michael Douglas all along. He's been pulling the strings, playing both sides, he's a mastermind. And I was like, oh, okay. It's not, she fights him on the sand, it's kind of a cutty, longer than... He actually suddenly has more, you know, physical ability yeah. than he ever demonstrated before. Yeah, and to that, I just wrote off, like, maybe he hit the gym with a couple of his henchmen, you know, or people that, <laughs> like, oh, that was cool when you did that kick, can I see that, just in a fanboy way. So I was fine with him being able to struggle through a fight, because it didn't look like he was on equal footing, or ever got a one-up on her. He, like, right. hit her a few times. Uh, but she was clearly in control. Again, makes stupid choices, like runs towards the rocks. I'm like, those rocks are going to hurt. <laughs> I don't understand how his leg got caught underneath a rock. Like, that was a weird, like, he fell. I thought, like, oh, he twisted his ankle, but, like, he was trapped under something. He falls, and I think there was a bone-snapping noise, and I was like, oh, crap. I really hate seeing, like, compound <laughs> fractures in movies or on video clips on the Internet. And yeah. It's like, it just makes, it gives me a metallic taste in my mouth. So I'm like, oh, crap, they're going to show his foot sideways and stuff they just cut down to it and it's beneath the rock you see the shoe and you see a rock i'm like his foot's off it's on the other side of that rock <laughs> then i'm like i guess i could see if there were a crevice in there it snuck down and then snapped at an angle he's kind of pinned it there would be a way to work his leg out if it weren't broken but i was again filling in some blanks there on why this is a yeah, it was a weird inescapable situation yeah and so she asks him who was behind this he says antonio banderas pulled the strings all the explanation of everything yeah explanation and Again, it goes, oh, okay, I guess. And yet it still doesn't hang together because you go, like we talked about with the the dissident, why didn't he or his bodyguards say, wait, 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 why are you doing this? And then it makes you question Michael Douglas. Is he in on it? Because Antonio Banderas said, I have this sinister plot. <laughs> that I will kill two birds with one stone and make a much money for myself. No, How did he sell that to Michael Douglas, who's a clear, apparently a good guy in the government, came, hey, I want you to introduce me to Ewan McGregor to extract this guy. For uses. And he didn't go, what uses? Like, <laughs> just like, okay, I'll introduce you and put my name on the line with this government contractor. Like, he is either in on it or just bad his job and doesn't uh, do his homework. And either way... And should be killed. <laughs> and should be killed. Actually, again, he's not the one dealing in death. He's like a second removed middleman who approves budgets that deal in death. So him, I could see, and from my But I would have expected him to get killed like... Uh, like um, Chris Cooper in, in The Born Identity that like right. he was sort of in charge and because sort of this went sideways on your watch like, yeah. but with Michael Douglas I could see also my understanding of the government that he is actually just not great at his job and that's how the government works full of those people they got through cronyism or through just being there long enough so could happen but I still felt like he was in some way culpable is she going to go back after him she shows up in Mallorca where Antonio Banderas I'm like oh okay well she's going to clean up those loose ends are go up the chain. At least we got someone that's a bigger bad guy than Ewan McGregor. 
And it just cuts. That's the end. Like it shows uh, Antonio she Banderas. Kills his girlfriend. Yeah, or she's off screen somewhere, maybe incapacitated. And then she shows up, and he's like, "Oh crap!" or something. And then it cuts to black, and goes Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. And I was like, "Really?" As much as I had well, come to like, the story, not like Antonio Banderas could fight back. Right, but it still felt like a, maybe a wrap up with her, then talking to Michael Douglas in a bigger frame story of, uh, and that's how I did it. And he's like, "Okay." Yeah, we completely forgot about um, Michael Ang- Angarano. Yeah, there's... And it's just Antonio, Bandor- Antonio Banderas and his weird, like, Saddam Hussein beard. So, obviously, we disagree on this movie wholeheartedly. Right. I enjoyed it. A lot of the stuff that you were like, ah, oh, we've seen spy movies before, we don't need to explain it. I was sort of cool with that attitude. I was like, yeah, I get the general gist. Michael Douglas is a good guy. You and my guy, here's the sleazeball. Uh, let's get back to her punching people. I enjoyed it all the way through. I'd definitely see it again. If there was a sequel, I'd go watch the sequel. Generally speaking, Soderbergh movies, he's always trying to do something different uh, than what he's done before and what other people do. And sometimes those experiments end up sort of like fun, quirky, like heist movies like Ocean's Eleven or something like Out of Sight. Sometimes it ends up being sort of dull like, uh, like Solaris. But like he's always trying to do something that's not like the standard thing. I'll give them credit for that and I felt like the lining was more like different in a, in a good way in being simple and removed from something like Ocean's Eleven so I like his latitude. I feel like this was different but it felt like he was like oh I'm gonna do a different thing with the same palette I always use. I like the action a lot. I think that was the best part of it. The story had holes but a lot of movies do. I think this one left me to reflect on them a lot more because the acting from the main character just wasn't pulling me in. Like, I can forget a lot if the main character's charming and, and drawing me in. She wasn't... Iron Man! <laughs> I mean, I feel like Iron Man's not that great of a movie. That's entirely just yeah, Robert uh, Downey Jr.'s charm. Yeah, I will say that is a perfect example of something that makes you... He just smiles, it twinkles, and the glare <laughs> from that overshadows all the holes in it. So... This didn't have that twinkle in the main character. The supporting characters were great and really well acted, but they don't hold up as much as the movie is. The first scene was bad, but once they started punching each other, I was fine with it, and I liked her all the way through. And uh, honestly, it was Bill Paxton that sort of drove me more nuts than anything. I think she Uh, definitely got better, but by the end, I don't feel like there was a redemption or like, oh, you finally got what you wanted. It was like, oh, you were going through these motions for a reason, right? What was it? Yeah, it was a little confusing. Uh, not entirely clear who was in charge. So I was like, yeah, she killed Antonio Banderas. He must have been the bad guy. Yeah. She, she, I mean, again, I think I compared her to Ashley Judd or Double Jeopardy. Like, at least at the end of that, there's like, oh, I'm breaking down because now I get my son back. I certainly like, didn't have any catharsis at the end. But yeah. I enjoyed it all the way through, so I, I don't have any bad feelings towards it. And I, yeah. would, I would recommend it, especially this time of year when there's just crap uh, everywhere. Like, this is definitely a movie that people should see over whatever uh, Liam Neeson punching somebody. Uh, this punching week. werewolves. No, <laughs> punching wolves, not werewolves. They Are look we like, sure? Hey, I haven't <laughs> seen the movie yet. Man, it's going to be full of twists. I think there's going to be sparkly vampires maybe that show up to fight them with him. He might be a sparkly vampire, but since he's in Alaska, the sun never comes up, so no one knows. And then there's 30 days of night. Uh, <laughs> but I agree that it's better than a lot of the drac out there. I think it was entertaining for the action. It was kind of in the 85% range, um, watchable, but I wouldn't tell people to seek it out. I, on the other hand, think you should seek this out. So okay. I think it might be our first split review. Why don't you let us know what you think by emailing too much at gmail.com? Thanks for listening.